GLES Eagles. Well, from the sunny deck of the battleship New Jersey, the longest Navy battleship ever constructed. Welcome to the Pond Hockey Eagles post-game show. And shoo, we're out of breath here. You got to be kidding me! What a wild win! The Philadelphia Eagles survived the unexpectedly spunky Washington Commanders in overtime on a 54-yard field goal by Jake Elliott. They win it. 34 to 31. Hello, I'm Mike Missinelli with my cohorts, Derek Gunn and Seth Joyner. And guys, I don't know about you, but this was a wild finish that I did not expect. And, and it comes down to some, some really interesting plays at the end where the Eagles thought they had won the game on a bomb to A.J. Brown to have the commanders come back and tie it with five seconds left in the game. And they needed a couple big plays in overtime to win it. Process this for me. Well, um, as I was sitting there with you guys, they scored a touchdown with, with 143 left in the game. And I'm thinking, okay, great call at the line of scrimmage. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a second second time, why would you score that touchdown with a buck 43 left? They still have one timeout. You're giving them the ball back. Now, this isn't the most prolific offense in the NFL. I'm talking about Washington. But you didn't rattle this kid, Sam Howell, all day. He got into a rhythm. He got comfortable right from the start against this defense. And lo and behold, he walks the team right back down the field, ties the game up, and puts the Eagles in an unnecessary position where, fortunately, they win the game in overtime. Yeah, Seth, we're looking at the play, and, yeah, it's all well and good. that He changed the play, called an audible there because he saw single coverage, and he hits it for a bomb. Now, the, the whole world thinks that's a great play. But, again, uh, what Derek just said, you, you allow time to, to go off the clock. And I guess they figure our defense is good enough. That team is not going to get the ball down the field against us. But they did, surprisingly. Well, that's not really even a thought in the mind of Jalen Hurts. He's conditioned to look at what the defense has given him and make the proper check. So he made the proper check, but he should have been having the conversation with Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni in, in his head saying, okay, we want to run the ball twice here. Okay, we want to burn the clock, and we want to give Jake Elliott the opportunity to win this thing in regulation. Um, you know, to your point, to both of you guys' point, you know, it's a great play, you know, but in retrospect, you really don't believe that this offense has the fortitude or the star power to actually march the ball. What was it? Um, Ten plays, 64 yards down the field. Uh, but they do it, and, you know, it, <laughs> It, it, I, I just don't know what to say about this game because, to be honest with you, they're 4-0. But, but, but our, our job is to dissect this yes. thing and tell you what happened and to, um, you know, gosh, I can't even find the word right now. What I just watched was so shocking. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. There's so many twists to this game because let's, let's start with the, the A.J. Brown uh, touchdown. And uh, he gets a uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty uh, after the touchdown, and that that moves the kickoff forward, and, and to the point where the uh, the commanders now get a decent return and decent field position to start that drive. Now, to their credit, they converted a, a third and two early in the drive. They converted right. a fourth and two, uh, and they got the ball. They had a third and seventeen in there, so you got to give them credit for getting the ball down down the field. Uh, but in overtime, the Eagles needed a couple of big plays as well. They needed a tush push, which was really a Zacchaeus carry of Jalen Hurts over the top. They needed a nice swing pass to DeAndre Swift on the outside. They got an intentional grounding they had to overcome. And, and finally, 
they get into enough position with a pass over the middle to get Elliott uh, a decent shot at it. And 54 yards to Elliott has been money this year. Well, he hit a 61-yarder already this year, so 54 is a chip shot to him. But, you know, go back to AJ for just a moment, who had a phenomenal game today. You have to be smarter than that as a veteran to go in the end zone and then taunt a guy, knowing you're going to get a 15-yard penalty. And lo and behold, you give Washington prime real estate, cut the field shorter, and they go down and make it a little bit more interesting than it should have been. First of all, I didn't think Washington could score 31 points against this defense, even though the Eagles have a bunch of kids playing on the back end of that defense, and especially after Washington, the way they unraveled against Buffalo last week. And that's why we all picked them to win by double digits. Heck, the odds makers picked them to win by nine. Nobody thought they could score 31 points. Let's go back to the – Seth said he made the proper check. But the quarterback also has to figure out that I don't need that check. No. I, I don't need to make that kind of a play to leave that time on the clock because that play is going to go for a touchdown. So maybe the proper thing is, yeah, I see that. But still, we're in good position here to win the game with a field goal. Yeah, but you got to take into consideration all the things that, you know, A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts has been through over the last couple of weeks and all the talk about, you know, having to get the passing game on point. And he sees that he's got his best guy out there against a rookie. Of course he's going to check to that, you know, and, and, and I get your point. Yeah, he's got to be a lot more savvy about that. It's a learning situation for him because, to, to be quite honest with you, I mean, let's go back and somebody please tell me how many times have the Eagles found themselves in this situation. So everything in professional football is about experience. He will chalk this up as an experience and say to himself, hey, listen, I got him out there and they're probably coming on a blitz, but maybe that's not the proper thing to do, you know, over, over time. And, and then I said it earlier, but it's worth, you know, restating it. Those conversations must go on in the headsets between the offensive coordinator and the quarterback and the head coach and the offensive coordinator to ensure that you get what you want in that situation rather than checking into a play that gives you the big play. And, and to be honest with you, I really don't mind the check in the, in the big scheme of things. What really peeves me and what ticks me off is the 15-yard taunting penalty yes. because that gave up you know, major field position. Under normal circumstances, Jake Elliott's going to kick that ball out of the end zone. They're going to start at the 25 instead of, you know, the 40 to 41, okay? And then that's 15 yards more that they have to get. The clock runs out on them, and they still win it in regulation. So, I mean, th there's a whole lot of moving parts that go with this. But the most egregious part of it, and we're going to talk about Jalen Hurts and him checking at the line and making, you know, the right call, you know, as a, as a quarterback, it's the right call. But with A.J. Brown, him – and that kid, Forbes Jr., was out there jawing at each yeah. other all day yeah. long. Yep. And he let his emotions get the best of him in a situation where, as a veteran, a seasoned veteran, you can't do that. There's a I Mississippi say, State, Mississippi thing yeah. that I, was, right? I, I will say this, though. They have not played a perfect game. They have not played a clean game yet this season. Yet they're 4-0. Listen, 4-0. Football's not a perfect game. No. And, and no. most of the time, there's nothing clean about the game. It's a, it's a very imperfect game where everyone's talking about how do we get to a point where we play the perfect game. We haven't played to our standard. We haven't played to a level. That all sounds good. But understand, there are 53 guys on that other roster that get paid every week That's just right. like you do.
You know, yeah. So perfection, perfection is something you, that you strive for, but it's something that you very, I mean, very rarely ever in the game of football ever accomplish. Who could have predicted the, the way Washington would have played in this game to give the Eagles a game? And we're talking about a team last week that got waxed, uh, and, and the, the quarterback got hit, sacked nine times, got hit fifteen times. Uh, he got intercepted. He, he was all over the place. All of a sudden, he plays a disciplined game here. But what what the, were the Commanders doing uh, defensively to the Eagles that got them off to such a slow start? Well, basically, the defensive front, you know, you have four former first-round draft picks on that defensive front. And we talked about this on the pregame show, how this Washington front gives this Eagles offensive line more problems than anybody else. And I was talking to Seth about this. I love the way Washington's D-tackles pinch the gaps. They don't leave many open gaps, which don't leave a lot of lanes for this Eagles running game to really get going. And it helped alter that Eagle game offensively somewhat, Um, you know. Washington doesn't have to blitz a lot because of those guys they have up front. That's one of the best trench warfares I think we're going to see all season. When it comes to analyzing any defensive front that can stand up to this Eagles offensive line, that's one of the few that can. Listen, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, going into this game, I remember asking Bill in the pregame the question about, you know, what, what, what would the game plan be moving forward today? Okay. So they ran 48 times in week two. They ran 40 times last week. Do you realize in the first half they ran the ball nine times for 27 yards, three yards per carry? They got away from what they did best because they saw a window to perfect the passing game in today's game instead of doing what got them where they got to, okay? The first first series of the game, Washington marched 14 plays, 75 yards down the field. The Eagles come back with a 12-play, 75-yard series of their own you know, culminated by a five-yard DeAndre Swift run play. But guess what? They ran the ball that first series. From that point on, the rest of the first half, they were extremely, extremely pass-heavy. And that is what got them in trouble. They were two for five on third downs in the entire first half. And they can't operate like that after being a team that ranked fifth in third down conversions at 46%. Leap through through the first three weeks. Yeah, some things I don't understand the, the way they game plan. But but in any event, um, uh, Jalen Hurts with a monster game here, uh, twenty five for thirty seven, three nineteen, and a rating of one twelve point nine. He really started to cook in the third quarter. They got things really uh, kind of ironed out in the third quarter, uh, where uh, the, the first score they get is an Elliott field goal. But then they hit the long ball to AJ on a beautiful play, uh, and he weaved about twenty five yards for the touchdown. Uh, they go for two, so now they're up twenty one to seventeen. And you think, okay, it's pretty much they're going to take command of this game. And, and they, they score again, but they were limited to a field goal there. Because on a third and 11, they run a toss to Kenneth Gainwell, yeah. which I didn't really understand. And they had to settle for that field goal. That kept Washington within striking distance at 24-17. What was that call? A safe call. Just to make sure nothing obscure would happen. Just to make sure that they got something out of that particular drive. <laughs> yeah, but then but they throw the touchdown 11. pass with 143 I get, I get left. It. I know. Go. There you go. I get it. <laughs> and, the, and, and, the, and, the play calling was so off kilter in this game, it, it, was, it was driving me nuts. And I'm like, what are they doing over there? What did they discuss in timeout? Well, I really don't know. Well, we talked about it. I mean, in that third, third and 11, I'm like, okay, throw a little short pass, get half of it back, get to manageable. If you get to a manageable situation, you know, if he breaks the tackle and he gets the first down, great. But at least throw the ball you know, on that situation and try to get half of it and then go on the fourth down with maybe a fourth and short where you can convert it. But, you know, there, there was a lot of questionable things that went on in this football game. Listen, the penalties, 
The Eagles had double-digit penalties, and they had penalties and points of the game that were very, very critical. Penalties that kept drives alive that allowed Washington to score touchdowns after they had these penalties. I mean, they've got to get yeah. that kind of stuff cleaned yeah, up. And, and D-Gun yeah. was asking me, he's like, man, how does he how does he hold in that situation? Yeah. Let me tell you yeah. something about penalties, especially defensive penalties, holdings, pass interference, and things like that. Guys get penalties when they're out of position and they know that they're beat. So they've got to pull, they've got to tug to try to get back in position. And that's where technique comes in. And their technique just is rusty. I mean, a, a lot of stuff that I saw today – Second and nine, you're coming with a full-on blitz, and Darius Slay's playing 10 yards off the ball. Against Terry McLaurin, yeah. you're going to give him a slant of 10 yards? Yeah, that was early. To the you, side. Yeah, where they and, scored three times their first four possessions, Washington. But you saw it throughout the day. My goodness, yeah. if you're going to play man coverage and you're going to bring pressure, you've got to get up and challenge guys at the line of scrimmage and make the quarterback make perfect throws. I could have stood back there and completed yeah. that pass. You're talking about the penalties, and, of course, the one monster penalty happened in the fourth quarter. We already said it's 24 to, to 17 at this point. They, they got the, the commanders on a third and four, and, and Hal scrambles. He ran around sweat on the play, but then the roughing, the passer penalty, whatever they called that, the, the unsportsmanlike conduct, Edmonds brings the ball into Eagles territory. Then they, they stopped a third and one. On Logan Thomas trying to sneak it, but then they give up the the third and six on after a five yard penalty when Hal hit, hit Samuel. So so they made the Washington made some big plays in this game. I got to give them credit. They made plays, but the Eagles gave them opportunities. They gave them life with the penalties that they had. And you know what the the penalty on the penalty on Edmonds. I'm not upset with him at all. Because if he doesn't hit the quarterback in that situation, he's going to extend the ball over the line. He's going to get the first down. you got to play it like that. And the refs have got to see it and understand it in that way and not throw that flag because it was borderline. I don't know. I tell you I what. I disagree with that. That's borderline. Because he was headed right out of bounds on that play. He had no no thoughts of sticking that ball out. You got to be smart. You can't hit the it's quarterback where, in this league. It's you where the ball. Seven. It's where you, the ball you, ends up. You cannot if he doesn't, hit the quarterback in this okay, league. Okay. If he doesn't hit the quarterback, the quarterback's just going to take the ball and stick it over the line. It's going to be right. a first down anyway. You have to play that game that way. If I'm the head coach or I'm the defensive coordinator, I don't fault him at all for that. You've got to play the game that way. Washington came in with the perfect game plan after the way they played against Buffalo. And I said it on the pregame show, and I was joking with Seth when I said, I wish the Eagles had played Washington last week instead of this week because everything they did wrong, Eric Bieniemy had an entire week to settle down that offense and to go back in the drawing board. And sure enough, what happens? This kid, Sam Howell, comes in here right out of the gate. They're methodical, ball control offense. Keep your team in the offense. I didn't think that that kid with that offense could walk down the field as many. 14 plays, 75 yards, 708. 7 plays, 75 yards, 321. 11 plays, 65 yards, 427. And then their first drive of the fourth quarter, 11 plays, 75, 614. That ties it up at 24 all. Eric Bieniemy had the perfect game plan. He just didn't have enough to finish. All right. Uh, we're, we're right here in the Battleship, New Jersey. And we have our sunglasses on because it's really uh, uh, sunny out here. We're not trying to be cool. Uh, and then, oh, you know, I'm, the, I'm trying the, to be cool. This, 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 by oh, the way, cool. is the most decorated <laughs> battleship in our nation's history with 19 battle stars. Uh, USS New Jersey was built right here at the Philadelphia Navy Yard and launched on December 7th, 1942, where they didn't have an IT department, I'm guessing. So 
if the battleship is looking to hire right now in the IT and engineering, manufacturing, or technology fields, you got to contact Gary Kane and his team at Kane Partner Staffing Solution. And here's how you can connect. Staffing is not easy, but that's what we do every day, all day. The key to our success is storytelling, asking the right questions to find the right people. I'm Gary Kane, president of Kane Partners. We want to be your staffing partner. All righty, live right here from Battleship, New Jersey. Beautiful scene of the Philadelphia right in the background. We're having fun out here on the deck where uh, a lot of great soldiers served. Uh, it's time that Mark Farzetta of Jacob Media joins the, the fray here. Uh, Farsi, uh, I don't know. We're sitting watching the same game. Wild as hell, uh, and the Eagles come out with a victory. Your spin on this. Uh, I mean, I, always, I know we say after uh, some losses that the Eagles might have in the course of a season that uh, they might still be able to pull out and win. They might be able to you know, have a lot of struggles and overcome them. And we always like to say there's no such thing as a moral victory. Well, it certainly feels like even though the Eagles are 4-0, there are some moral losses woven in here, unfortunately. But bottom line is they keep finding ways to win games. And if you're talking about a guy or guys that can continue to deliver for this squad, guys like A.J. Brown today absolutely going off. I agree with your guys' assessment earlier that you just simply can't have that type of taunting call. Ends up being essentially an 11-yard penalty, and they needed every ounce, every yard, every second on that drive to come back and tie the game to force overtime. But it does not negate the fact that he was the constant target for Jalen Hurts today. Certainly a guy that delivered well today. And then you can also talk about Jake Elliott, who has been absolute money this entire entire season for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's one of three kickers in the NFL right now with three or more 50-yard field goals made. That is uh, a man you can absolutely consistently rely on. So the player you can bank on is definitely Jake Elliott, presented by First Truck Tr Trust Bank, the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, all right, so um, uh, when we when we look over this, uh, uh, Farz, when, when, you're, when you're looking at the Eagles score that touchdown and to put them ahead, um, what was your immediate reaction to that? <laughs> Because our immediate reaction was, yeah, that's good. Uh, wait a minute. Maybe it's not. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I thought anytime you could put up put points on the board late in the game as you had, and Jalen Hurts has the ability to take a shot downfield, single coverage, look like he checked to that play himself. So I don't fault Brian Johnson for it, more or less. But he had a chance to put up seven. He put up seven. I did not expect the defense to allow Sam Howell to go all the way down the field and score that touchdown. I sure as heck didn't expect, again, A.J. Brown to have that type of taunting penalty to give the extra yards there on the kickoff to the Washington Commanders. In the moment, I didn't have a problem with it. Now, if you're going by the textbook of football, do's and don'ts, it's certainly a do not. It is a don't to give that ball back to any offense, whether it be led by Sam Howell or anybody else. So on that particular play, by the book, sure, he did the wrong thing. But if you're asking Jalen Hurts, he had an opportunity to put up seven, so he put up seven. Hey, Mark, um, you know, we, we've always talked about the suspect play uh, of the linebackers, but the last couple of weeks, both Morrow and Cunningham have, have really balled out for this team, which Certainly. has bailed them out in a lot of ways. I, I mean, I did not expect that at all. We expected the linebacking core of this Philadelphia Eagles team to be a problem, and that's what it has been for the vast majority of the last 20 years, a big problem with this Eagles defense. But when you look at the way they were able to play, when you look at the way that Zach Cunningham was able to learn this defense under a new defensive coordinator here in Philadelphia, him being new to the fray as well, and Sean Desai, him and Nicholas Morrow, a guy that let's not forget was cut 
at the end of preseason play. He comes back, gets a spot, gets an opportunity with N'Kobe Dean going down, and next to a guy like Zach Cunningham has been able to go out there and absolutely ball out. Three sacks today for Nicholas Morrow. I, first, look, I didn't see this game being as close as it was. I certainly didn't see it going into overtime, and I sure as heck did not expect a guy like Nicholas Morrow to come up with three sacks on the day. I'll tell you what I didn't expect. I didn't expect Sam Howell to play this well. He was 29 of 41 for 290 yards, a rating of 98.6. Did not turn the ball over today. Showed some mobility in the pocket. I mean, is this guy any good or, or, Listen, or what? I, I, I think sometimes, you know, you, you got to give guys credit. You know, he's been the starter there, and he played well through the first two weeks. He ran to a buzzsaw last week and got behind, and his rookie nature, you know, expressed itself. To D. Gunn's point, you give Eric Bieniemy time to come up with a better game plan to, to, to help your quarterback not make the same mistakes that he made the previous week, he's going to do that. They came out, they threw the ball quickly, they got it out of his hands early, they converted third downs and kept the chains moving. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, when you really stop and, and think about it, I give Sam, Sam um, Howell credit yeah. for running the offense the way that Eric Bieniemy wanted him to run it. I put the, put the blame and point the finger more at the secondary, specifically our cornerbacks. You can't play off the ball all the time the way that they do, okay? Even veteran quarterbacks are smart enough to say, okay, if you're going to give me, if you're going to line up at 10 yards, are you going to give my wide receiver a five-yard stop route or a slant route? Absolutely. I'll take that all day. That's, that's, that's candy all day long. So in order for this defense, in, in my opinion, to get to, get to an elite status because – the one thing you can say about Sean Desai is he is not like Jonathan Gannon. He is not going to sit back and play sticks defense all the time. He is going to bring some pressure. You've seen him bring an extra linebacker. You've seen him in the overtime bring two linebackers, you know, at multiple times. But if you're going to play man coverage, you can't give the quarterback an automatic read once he reads the blitz is coming by playing that far off the ball. You've got to get up and challenge wide receivers at the line of scrimmage and force the quarterback to make uh, uh, the great throw, okay? If it's the fade route, make him drop it in the bucket. If it's, if it's the slant route, be in position to contest it. But when you play that far off the ball, you're just giving yards away because he sees the blitz coming and he gets the ball out of his hands. That's just smart quarterback play by a smart offensive coordinator that's coached his young quarterback on what to do, not to make the same mistakes that you made last week. I think one of the biggest mistakes the Eagles defense and their coordinators made was allowing Sam Howell to be comfortable right Absolutely. out of the gate because they did a great job of mixing up the pass and the run. I didn't think Washington would be able to run on this Eagles defense. They had success running in the middle. They were only three and four yards runs, but those are necessary runs. Seven of their first 14 plays were running plays. So you kept the defense a little bit honest. And that kid settled in the pocket. They didn't bring the heat on him early. I guess they were trying to feel him out and see what he was going to do. So they let him get in the rhythm early. And when he walked down that field in 14 plays and chewed up over seven minutes on him, that was a bad sign for this defense. Yeah, I, I'm astonished that he got him down the field to tie the game. I, I still, I, I came out like when they scored that touchdown. I came out here. And I said, okay, it's over. And they got. The, I was astonished that they got the ball back down the field. All right, the, the one little. Uh, but wait a, a minute. Part the touchdown. The touchdown that they scored is the thing that you have to look at. Okay, so they had 10 yards to get the touchdown, and all the defensive backs were playing man coverage. Josh Joe was lined up. They doubled the tight end in that situation. Josh Joe was lined up. All the DBs were lined up on the goal line, and they backed up, okay? Johan Dodson ran down, crossed the goal line, and hooked up. When he hooked up, the ball was already 
-hmm. on the way. You can't give up that kind of space like that in that situation. That was like stealing, man. It was like stealing. Yeah. Uh, Farge, they want to bring you in here because uh, you, you did the halftime spot with uh, with Kayla, who will uh, join the show in a little bit, and Bill Calarulo. Uh, and, and Bill's a... Uh, he was chirping about now this way that the league is going to be able to stop the tush push, and they and they kind of did it today uh, on a, on a penalty. Explain what you guys were talking about. Well, it was the unofficial uh, official stop of the tush push, or at least the attempt there to stop the brotherly shove. Basically, calling Landon Dickerson saying he was in the neutral zone, lined up in the neutral zone, and then he could look on the other side of the football, and they had their nose tackle directly over the ball as well for Washington. So it was a pick your poison type of thing. Whether you're going to offset those penalties or just call the penalty on the Eagles, which they did in this case, that might be the league roundabout way of getting rid of the brotherly shove by just calling that penalty when it seems like even when they did it later in the game it was the same type of effect where they just decided not to call it unfortunately yeah and the commanders actually tried to do it with logan thomas who is a former quarterback who's put on about 40 pounds of muscle to be a tight end in this league but he didn't look like he was too enthused about about running that quarterback sneak not a six, couple five, times six, six, no. either. he can't get low enough he stood straight up yeah, he did he, everybody he, pushed him he didn't really want he, any any he was, part of it he was like Blow the whistle. Blow the, he wanted to tap out in a hurry. But, but Farzi, what did I tell you on the pregame show when it comes to the tush push? Because it is a Philadelphia staple what? They are going to try to find a way to negate that play. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, as you said, I didn't, I didn't think Dickerson was lined up any further offside than any other time. And you're right, the nose tackle had his nose in the neutral zone. But who gets called? No, who gets the, called the for The Philadelphia it? Eagles do, okay. Gunner, because so, as you said, we yes. love to get trolled here. They love to troll us. And but, so what's going to happen at the end of this season? What did I tell you? They're probably going to get rid of the brotherly shove. Yes. Well, but according to the broadcast, they said that that is a point of emphasis this year, to make sure that the offensive linemen are lined up properly. Mm -hmm. And if you know that, then when you practice, that's got to be a point of emphasis in practice yep. to make sure that everybody's lined up properly. Now you see, you saw it the Kansas City in the first game. Yeah. That that right tackle, he was living in the backfield, and they <laughs> yes. let it go. But yeah. after that game, oh, now that's a point of emphasis. Yeah. All you right, know, that's, we got to uh, keep an eye on the Philadelphia. Take Eagles. our break here on the sunny deck <laughs> uh, because we got to cool off a little bit, get a drink of water. Kayla Santiago will join us with the Diamond Debate uh, coming up in a little bit. And John McMullen, who was covering the game down at Lincoln Financial Field, will also join us. It is the Pine Hockey Eagles postgame show live from the Battleship New Jersey in Camden, New Jersey. And we're back after this. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. They're carving them up and good play calling along the way. First and goal at the six. Either our 
success is storytelling, asking the right questions to find the right people. I'm Gary Kane, president of Kane Partners. We want to be your staffing partner. Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community, at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now. So Good Now helps kids in under-resourced areas by connecting them with student-athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most. When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now. It's all about you. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. Welcome back to the Pond La Hockey Eagles postgame show. The crew is at live at the Battleship New Jersey right here in Camden. We're on the sunny deck uh, of the Battleship New Jersey. Just a couple facts about the Battleship here. Uh, the U.S. New Jersey, USS New Jersey was commissioned in the Navy on May 23, 1943. This ship served in World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Beirut Crisis, and the Persian Gulf War. Digon, how many sailors do you think served aboard the USS New Jersey throughout her career? 25,000. How about 55,000 sailors? Wow. All right? That's Why did a you lot. ask me? That's a lot. Was, that was my guess. You, oh, you, you have said, 50, yeah, you right. 55,000? <laughs> You're lying, man. Stop. Stop. And, yeah, the latrine is right over there. <laughs> <laughs> the mess. Oh, where's the mess? I, I don't know where it is. We're kind of a mess right now. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in this hot sun. But let's, let's bring in uh, Kayla Santiago for our diamond debate for today. Kayla, you wearing bling in this hot sun? Is the, is, the, is the hot sun shining off your bling? It is, and I think the sun is just making it that much better. And then people that love pearls, these are definitely for you right now. Absolutely love these things from Mark Diamond Jewelers. You got the ring with the pearl as well. You got the pearl necklace and the earrings to put it out. Shining almost as bright as Jake Elliott did today for the Philadelphia Eagles. But before we get to that, the big game winner, I want to focus on this Eagles defense. We already know that they're young in the secondary, but some mistakes here today, giving up 31 against the commanders. Is that on Sean Desai? Is that on the personnel? Seth, I'm going to start with you and your defensive mind. Where do you see it going wrong, and do you think it's going to be issues down the line? Well, I think at times Sean calls his defenses, you know, to protect the young guys. But when you start seeing, you know, the bigger guys, you know, the older guys, I should say, the more seasoned veterans like Bradbury and Slay getting beat and called for PIs, you know, that's somewhat concerning for me because we expect for those guys, you know, to be the mainstay. You know, Josh Job, absolutely, he gave up, you know, the, the tying touchdown. But I thought he played pretty darn good all day long. Um, he didn't get a PI. He didn't get a holding call. Those calls went against, you know, the veterans, you know, on the defense. So, um, I think it's a combination of things, you know, that you're looking at because Sean Desai is trying to bring pressure. He's trying to be aggressive. But I don't know whether the, the, the defensive backs have the option to line up and bump or to play off or, you know, that's just the way that they're coached to play uh, is off in blitz situations like that. 
But I know for a fact you're not going to survive in the National Football League when quarterbacks can get a pre-snap read of blitz or pressure coming and you playing 10 yards off the ball. That's an easy pitch and catch. And the veteran quarterbacks that we're going to play down the road, they will eat that like good birthday cake. And Darius Slay has been moved along with James Bradbury. We saw Slay go down for a moment in that game. We were all talking about possibly a concussion. He comes back the very next play. But, D-Gun, I'm going to go to you right now. You see those two guys getting penalties in this game. Does that worry you at all as the weeks go on? It's against the commanders here today. You're going to face a lot tougher offenses as the year goes. Absolutely. Um, you know, they're veterans. They're both over 30 years of age, and they know how to cheat. Maybe what they've lost in a step or two, they know how to cheat. But you know what? You also get yourself in situations you shouldn't be. And the better offensive coordinators in this league are going to sit here and analyze exactly what Washington did uh, against these guys. When you talk about the Patrick Mahomes, uh, the Josh Allens, uh, and, and even Tua and those guys, they're going to sit down and thoroughly analyze where we can attack these corners, these Pro Bowl corners, and exactly and down a distance how, how we should attack them. If Sean Desai and Matt Patricia are going to continue to have these guys playing 7 to 10 yards off the ball, it's easy pitch and catch, as Seth was talking about. It's easy pitch and catch for the better offenses up and down the National Football League. And then when the offenses catch them trying to cheat up, because they have those definitive speedsters on the outside, that's when you're going to take them over the top. You've got, to, you've got to do a better job of mixing. You cannot be as predictable as they've been in terms of how they're going to play some of these wide receivers. And let's face it, when you look at the first four games that they've played, they have not played the better wide receivers in the game, yet they keep playing the same type of scheme. It has worked for them up to this point. It is not going to work for them as they continue down this road. What's the difference you want to see in the scheme as the year goes on week after week? What do you think would work for them? And if you were talking to Sean Desai, what are you telling him to do? I want to see these corners play more bump and run. I don't want to see them giving us cushion. The good receivers that go five yards, plant their foot in the ground, they're going to win the slants every time. Why do you think A.J. Brown is so successful on those slant routes? Because a lot of opposition corners give him that much respect playing 17 yards off the ball. He's killing them every time. And the Eagles secondary is doing the same thing. The better quarterbacks, the better offensive coordinators are going to hone in on that and make the Eagles pay in big games. I think according to down and distance, you've got to adjust how you play when you got man coverage, in my opinion. You can't play the same way all the time because once you become predictable, now the, the quarterback and the offensive coordinators, they got a bead on how you're going to play. And if they think you're going to play a certain way all the time, they expect for you to be in that same posture. I Listen, I there's no doubt that Darius Slay and James Bradbury are good cornerbacks. But I said this last year, when you put guys like that in a defensive posture, then they become more passive, in my opinion. The more aggressive you, you allow them to be in certain situations, to get up at the line of scrimmage, to get their hands, take that one jam, and then define which way you want to let that guy you know, release. You know, when you do that, you make them play a lot more aggressive, and they'll play through the ball a lot more aggressive. But when, you're, when your mentality is bend but don't break, oh, we don't want to give up the big one over the top, now you create this air and this mentality of being passive, and they play that way sometimes. And I think that's a big mistake. You know, you just, there's certain times if you make the call and you're going to come, you know, the guy with the green dot, he's got to tell those guys, hey, get up and press. Hey, get off. You know, play off and inside. Play off and outside. You know, 
good defensive backs, especially guys that play on the outside, they do a fantastic job of moving around because the quarterbacks are always trying to get a read based upon where they are aligned. Now, the guy in the slot, he's a lot more difficult because he's off the ball, right. and you can't get up on him no. and get your hands on him. But if you're outside, you can determine the release of the, of the wide receiver by your posture, by where you align. And a lot of times you're going to determine the adjustment to the route depending on where you align and where you, and, and, and where you are. But Seth, so I when think, you get yeah. up and back and you move inside and out and you're right. doing you're constantly moving around, that means the quarterback can't get a bead on what you're doing. But Seth, I think the sample size of what we've seen through four games is too lopsided in terms of how they're playing their coverages. You know, we sit here every game screaming about what in the world are you doing? I don't think they mix it up enough. I agree with you. They should mix it up, try to disguise it, especially when you're playing the quarterbacks like the Mac Jones and Sam Howells. They don't do that well enough. They're too predictable. And a lot of these teams are staying in the games. Listen, I, it's something that offensive coordinators are seeing. They're giving up over 300 yards per game, weeks one, weeks two, and today week four. They right. held Baker Mayfield to 170 right. and some change last week. But this week they're right back to it, you know. And they're one of the, the one of the worst teams in pass defense yes. in a passing league, and that's not good. You can't you can't just rely on your guys, your front four, your your pass rush all the time. Mm -hmm. They are going to have some days yep. where they're just not going to get home, and right. you're going to have to bring pressure the way that they did. The way you mitigate that, because the pass rush and the coverage works hand in hand, you've got to get up and challenge guys at the line of scrimmage sometimes. They got five sacks on him today, three of them by Nicholas Morrow, who also had like 11 tackles, and Cunningham had 13 tackles. So their linebackers, I think, were pretty aggressive. I, I don't know what's going on. And I thought Josh Joe played okay well, when he was out there. But I'll tell you this, Mike. When you see linebackers play, play well, it's because the guys up front are playing well. When you got big Jordan Davis and Fletcher Cox, Fletcher Cox played out of his mind today. Okay, I, I don't know if everybody was watching. I don't even know if he got a sack. But if you watched him play today, he played out of his mind today. Hassan Reddick got his yeah, first. Today. When, when you see those guys dominate up front, it makes it easier for the linebackers because it's the, the linebackers can declare where they're supposed to fit more rapidly because the, the, the defensive line, instead of playing on their side of the ball or being stalemated, they're playing on the other side, which makes guys stay on the double teams a lot longer than they want to. They can't get off second level. And Sean decides done a great job of running delayed blitzes with the linebackers where, you know, the linebacker's standing there. He doesn't look like he's coming. The ball is snapped. The back releases. And then here comes the linebacker out of nowhere. That's how Josh Morrow got his sacks today. But, hey, I, I always said, you know, if, if when you look at good linebacker play, I promise you the, the front four is playing well, and these guys are understanding they're getting more and more um, reps as the season goes on. And I would venture to say once uh, Mr. N'Kobe Dean is healthy, that the Eagles have got some decisions to make. That's how well these two linebackers have played mm -hmm. over the last three weeks. And they're young as well, just like the secondary. But I want to move over to the offensive side of the ball. You look at Brian Johnson right now in his fourth game with Philadelphia as the OC. Jalen Hurts did have a much better second half, but is there room to worry right now? It's not a guarantee when Jalen Hurts runs with the ball anymore, and I feel like last year we were able to have that. Is he worried about injury? Is Johnson trying to lay that back so he doesn't get laid out? He's missing throws. He had a good to A.J. Brown, but there's other guys out there that you've got to utilize, and you've got to start that early in the game because you're not always going to be facing the Washington Commanders. Interesting point. We were talking about this. D and I look at, at uh, Jalen Hurts. He, he looks a step slower this year. Now, 
Uh, and Seth says, well, he, he's a little more cautious, and that makes him look a little slower. So um, what are we thinking here about the, the way he you – know, last year he was kind of looked like he was shot out of a cannon to get a, a lot of those first downs. And he look, looks like he's a little timid running the football. I hope it's an illusion because this is the third consecutive game we have talked about him not looking like the the quick quick Jalen Hurts that we saw uh, the previous season. Now, when he did break that one off today for, what, like 23 yards, mm -hmm. that looked like the old Jalen Hurts. But for the most part, he seems to be a lot more cautious when he's running the football this year. I don't know if that's by design or not. I don't know if that's been beaten to his head by the coaching staff. Protect your body at all times. Don't be reckless. But, I, I, you know, Seth – you look at it from a different perspective than we do. You see things that we don't see. I mean, give me your opinion of what you're seeing from I think it's going to be situational. I think early in the game, what you're seeing is like the first sack he had today. It wasn't necessarily a legitimate sack. Right. He took off scrambling. Instead of him diving over the line head first, he slid. He slid right at the, right at the, the, the line of scrimmage, mm -hmm. which means that he didn't gain a yard, which made it a sack. Now, half of his sacks this year – of that nature. We saw another one where he was running out of bounds. And instead of just throwing the ball away and taking the incompletion, he ran out of bounds for a three-yard loss. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, I, I mean, I almost lost it in that situation. Throw the ball away. It's a lot harder to convert second and 13 than it is, you know, second and 10. Yeah. You know, but I think that when he ripped off that long run, it was go time. It's time to win the game. Mm -hmm. So I think it's situational. You're going to see Jalen take off and run, and you're going to see his best running when the game is on the line. But when the game is not necessarily on the line and they can rely on the defense to get a stop and they can live to fight another down, you're going to see Jalen Hurst just slide and stay down because those two games that he missed last year was enough of an eye-opener, not only for him, but for the coaching staff to realize that they cannot win without him. They cannot win with the backup. They have to have him on the field, and he's got to be smart about protecting himself. And All staying right. with the run game as well, I mean, give the commanders a little bit of credit. They were able to stop it, but what is it with Kenny Gainwell? Why do the Eagles put him in in situations that are clearly operated for DeAndre Swift? They love themselves some Kenny Gainwell, Kayla. <laughs> they love Kenny Gainwell, and he's going he's gonna to play a lot, and they're going to try to keep the carries uh, lighter on uh, DeAndre Swift, but uh, let's Let's, let's take a break. John McMullen will come up with his analysis uh, live from uh, Lincoln Financial Field. And uh, we've got our medical report with Dr. Bruce, who's in the house. Uh, and also coming up next, it is the two-minute drill, rapid fire for the fellas. Right after this, live from the uh, Battleship New Jersey in Camden, New Jersey, it is the Pond of Hockey Eagles postgame show. Back after this. Welcome to Pond Lee Hockey, the largest workers' compensation law firm in Pennsylvania. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured and disabled workers obtain benefits, as well as some of the biggest settlements in the state. Even better, Pondley Hockey doesn't charge a dime until you win. If you've been injured at work, give Pondley Hockey a call. And welcome to the Diamond Debate with Liam and Hillary in the heart of Montgomeryville, PA at Mark's Jewelers. So what do you got for us today, Hillary? Well, Liam, to kick off this football season, there's no deflate gate here. There's a three carat oval diamond. It's earth mined and it's completely natural. What do you think of that? Now that's stunning. I mean, millions of years under the earth's crust for something so small and beautiful. You think she's small? 
Well, I mean, do you have anything bigger? Of course I've got bigger. I mean, bigger's always better. That's what they say. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got an Earthmine natural five carat oval diamond. Is that big enough for you? Wow. Five carats? That's a carat a finger. That's something right there. I can't imagine anybody saying no to one of these. No, I guess not. Do you have anything smaller, maybe? Smaller is subtle and definitely beautiful still. And it's still fabulous and Earthmine Oval diamond set in a solitaire setting. This comes in 14 karat yellow and white, 18 karat yellow, white, and platinum. Any way you want it, what do you think? I mean, any way you want it. I can't imagine it any better, any different way. That's right. So come down and see us here at Mark's Jewelers, where love grows here. Every day of the week, except Mondays and Sundays. That's right, we're closed. <laughs> My name's Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech, we offer three major services, the first one being basement waterproofing, the second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs, and then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you are having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Hooters, the perfect pair. Go for the beers, go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the scene, go for the screens. Go for the gallery, go for the win. Go to Ocean. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. Welcome back to the Pilot Hockey Eagles postgame show. We are live on the deck of the uh, Battleship New Jersey. The Battleship of New Jersey, uh, uh, just a world-class uh, battleship. Three 16-inch uh, guns, nine 16-inch guns are, are on this, uh, this ship. And uh, uh, th three barrels and three turrets. The guns could fire from a 5-foot, five 5-inch, 2,700-pound projectile over 20 miles. They can fire here. Uh, and let's stay with the military theme because joining us right now as a special guest is Jerry Davis. Jerry is a U.S. Marine, and uh, he has created a, a nonprofit to take soldiers from the battlefield to the ball field, training them to be football officials. His daughter, Samantha Parisi, was an official in today's Eagles game. Jerry, welcome. Tell us a little bit about, first of all, your daughter and, and also the nonprofit. Yes, my daughter started officiating when she was still in high school. She uh, worked the indoor league that the Philadelphia Soul had. Long story short, she got a, got seen there, got told to go to a, a clinic. NFL brought her in, 
and she she does a lot of different things. The 29 camera, she did replay today. She, the ball girl, the kicking ball coordinator, and all that. And she also does works in the NEC as a side judge. All right, I have to ask this question because we saw the telecast. There, there was a, a lady official who got kind of plowed over on the sideline. That wasn't your daughter, right? No, it wasn't. Okay, no. all right. I just wanted to make make sure that that wasn't your daughter here. So, so tell us about the charity that you have started, which is a great idea, taking soldiers and training them because uh, we're all looking for for opportunities for the great soldiers that come back to us. Uh, you're training them to be uh, football officials. Yes, we'll start after the Eagles win the Super Bowl, like I said earlier today. We'll start end of February, I'm hoping, do some class work, and we have some real good officials that are going to come back and give back. Some guys that are working in the NFL now, a lot of college guys. Hopefully, my goal is to have five on the field come September, and that would be doing kids football to high school stuff and We'll see where it goes. That is awesome. Listen, uh, we we all uh, really thank you for your service here. And, and when you when you get on a ship like this, and you know you're you're a marine, tried and true, and you get marine blood running through you. Uh, what kind of pride do you feel when you're in this environment? Well, it's funny because I was actually on a uh, aircraft carrier USS Kitty Hawk, another ship made here in Philly. Wow, for three years, and I came on this today, and just walking around, I got lost for about an hour and a half. Just Memories, the Marine detachment here, the little birthings that we had to sleep in. It it was same smell too. So it's <laughs> it's, it's actually a very nice day here. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people have no idea what it's like to be living on a ship on a daily basis and serving your country. Hey, hey Jerry, we hear about so many programs across America that are helping uh, our servicemen and women transition back into civilian life. And a lot of them are therapeutic, yes. and understandably so. The program that you're establishing, can you talk about the therapeutic nature of what it, what you hope it does for the military personnel transitioning back? Yes, I, I've been there, being in the Marine Corps, coming out, a starting an official. It's hard, but once you get into it, if you have people helping you, giving back to you, they know what I'm talking about. They'll know when I say something to relate that to everyday life. So our plan is football, but we will have counseling and mm -hmm. different programs put in that will help them if they have any questions. Jerry, um, D Gun stole my my question, so I'm just I'm, I'm just than you. I'm just gonna you know thank you for your service, and um, we got to figure out how to get you a 59 instead of a 68. That's good. Yeah, that's the question. Tell, tell uh, Seth to get uh, it. Seth wasn't really happy when he saw somebody else's jersey here as we were watching the game, but 68 is a good number to rep. He's going to be here for a long time, so you're safe with that jersey, yeah, right? Yeah, this is actually my first Eagles jersey. <laughs> that's awesome. You bought the right one, I think. <laughs> Jerry Davis, thank you so much to the, the nonprofit where he's taking soldiers from the battlefield to train them to be football officials. It's a, it's a great uh, nonprofit. And his daughter, Samantha, shout out to Samantha Parisi. She's an official you. in yeah. the NFL. It's fantastic. All right, now it is time for our two-minute drill where I kind of go back and forth with the boys with quick hits. Uh, and the first quick hit I, I want to talk to you guys about is, is the offense because I'm looking at the stats coming into this game. And the, the, the commanders were 22nd in the league against the rush. They also had a, they were 27th in the league in uh, yards per, per attempt at 4.8. Uh, so I, I'm curious to know what to – 
why would they not attack that part of it? They started off slow doing what they were doing, which is try to get the passing game going. Well, I mean, I, I knew that's why we talked about in the pregame. I just had a premonition today that this was going to be a day that they were going to try to, you know, throw the ball all over the map. You got a young secondary. Um, you feel confident that you can um, that you can control the pass rush, even though you know you've got a a, a, a defensive line with five first rounders on them, uh, but your offensive line has been holding up pretty well. You've dominated in the running game, and the thought probably you know in Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni's mind was is that hey, um, you know we've rushed for over 200 yards the last two weeks. This team is probably banking on us coming in with a heavy dose of the run. So let's go in the opposite direction. I think sometimes coaching staffs can kind of think themselves, you know, out of what's really right, you know, instead of doing what brought you to the dance. You struggle through, through weeks one and two. Halfway through week two, you figured out, okay, let's lean on the run game. You run it 48 times. You, you, you rack up 259 yards. You come back the next week. You run it another 40 times and you rack up another 201 yards. And then you come into this game, you only run the ball nine times in the whole first half. You know, so I think sometimes, you know, when the analytics get caught up, you know, in game planning um, and, the, and the statistics of where a team is defensively and offensively, um, you know, fall into the fray that coaches have a lot of time to kind of consider and think about what they want to run and how they want to attack a defense. And I think that the Eagles started off on the wrong foot today by not running the football and continuing. Well, they run it. They they ran it the first series, but after the first series, they kind of got away from running the ball in totality. And I thought that really hurt them uh, because they had quite a few drives where they could not um, where they could not convert third downs in the first half. Like I said, they were two for five on third down conversions in the first half alone. I think it boiled down to Washington making them respect their defensive prowess up front. And, and and once Washington made them play catch up, you know, the Eagles' mindset was we're not going to let this team get too far ahead of us. And they knew for the most part, no matter how they attacked Washington's defense, they could answer back, and they did. Washington goes down the field, Eagles come back with a 12-play drive, much of it through the air. Washington took them out of their game plan. Um, I'm surprised that I'm not, a, not surprised. I thought it would take at least a half for them to figure out exactly how they wanted to attack the, with the running game, with the, the zone blocking and the stretch running. They never quite figured it out. They did get some big runs, but they never quite figured it out from start to finish how to consistently attack this Washington defensive front. And it made them put the ball up in the air. Did you honestly think Washington could outrush the Eagles today? No. In any way, shape, or form, 107 or 104? And, and they got away from Swift, too. They well, gave him the ball early, yeah. and, then they, and yeah. then they got away from him. That's, that's, that's a great point. You know, as dominant as DeAndre Swift has been over the last two weeks, why are we still trying to sprinkle in, you know, um, um, Kenneth, Kenneth Gainwell in some, some situations? I know that you have to limit the amount of touches that you're going to give DeAndre Swift in a game. you got to preserve him. But, you know, when you're in a game and all the chips are down, you know, you got to put your best players out there in, in certain situations. We were even talking about D-Gun, you mm -hmm. and I, one run, mm -hmm. you know, and I said, hey, you know, if that's Swift on that run, trust me, he's probably going to get another eight, nine yards out of that run opposed to, you know, what, what Kenneth Gainwell got out of it. But, you know, I also believe that the run game, you know, is a commitment. You know, in a, in a day and age and in a league where, you know, everyone's hell-bent on throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game, when you run the football, that's a commitment. You're making that commitment to your offensive line to stick with it. 
you know, and you're just not going to run it the first time or the first two times that you run it and have success. Commitment means you stay with it, you know, until you establish it. Mm -hmm. And I just don't feel like, you know, they were in the mode today or they felt like they had to stay in the mode today to commit to the run game. And, I, and, and in my opinion, I believe that's why the game was so close. Let me uh, go down this road here because, you know, back in the day, uh, I, I, I loved the Philadelphia 76ers when they had Julius Irving and Maurice Cheeks and Andrew Tony and all those guys they won the night. You don't love them now? I love them still. <laughs> but this is, and this is a long way to make my point. But they used to say back then, the teammates on, on the Sixers would tell Maurice Cheeks, you have the dock eye. In other words, we always see Julius Irving open. We wouldn't see as many people open as Julius Irving. Does Jalen Hurts have yes, the A.J. Brown eye? Yes, he yes, does. Yes, because we were looking yes. at a play where yes. he had swept yes. in the flat and he was straight down looking at, uh, at A.J. Brown. My surface pro is down, D-Gun. Will you tell me how many targets A.J. Brown had today? Uh, let's see here. A.J. Brown had 13 targets, nine catches, a buck 75, two touchdowns. So that's two games in a row. Yeah. Okay. Two games in a row that A.J. Brown almost had half of the targets. I mean, how many times Jalen Hurts threw the ball today? Probably what? 37. So 37 times. Yeah. 37 times last week he threw it, and and um, and A.J. Brown got 15 targets. He mm -hmm. comes back this week, he mm -hmm. throws it 37 more times, and A.J. Brown gets 14 targets. And I'm like, there are certain times where – I understand you have the matchup, and I'm pretty sure the plan was was to go after the rookie with your number one when you've got him locked up. But there are other guys that are open on the field. There was one time where I saw um, Jalen Hurts throw a ball contested down the sideline on the third down that they didn't convert, and he had DeAndre Swift in the flat right now to the same side, to the same side. A.J. Brown was the X to that side, yep. and you had DeAndre Swift that went to the, to the flat with a defensive end running after him, you've got the first down, but he throws the ball down the field to A.J. Brown. He blocked Take, Swift completely out. He definitely, definitely got the dock eye. <laughs> he's, got, he's got the A.J. eye. <laughs> All right, uh, let's look now at, at their, uh, their defensive line. Um, you know, Sweat was active today, and B.G. had a nice play. And again, the, the the middle is pretty pretty stout. Do we, do we have any worries at all, uh, other than how they're covering? Uh, do we have any worries about the personnel that they're stacking in there right now? Well, I think they're doing a better job, D Gun, of of how they double team the Eagles, how they double team the tackles. You know, the first couple of weeks they try to get on the shoulders, you know, of these big defensive tackles, Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox, and and Jalen Carter. They try to get on the outside shoulders. And these guys were getting skinny mm -hmm. and getting in between them and still breaking through. What you've seen today was offensive linemen get shoulder to shoulder and cover the entire body. So you didn't see as many of those breakthroughs that you've seen in weeks before. And I think, you know, other, other, uh, other deep offenses down the road are going to look at how they played it and implement a similar technique to keep these guys from getting in the backfield and being disruptive. That's fine, though. Because you know what? BG showed up today. Sweat showed up today. Um, Hassan Reddick got his first sack today and was extremely, extremely, um, you know, active today. But that's what they need. Because if you're going to squeeze down the middle the way that they squoze it down today to keep those guys in the middle from really pushing the pocket, then those guys on the outside are going to have to win. And when those guys don't win, like Sean Desai has done over the course of the last four games, you're going to have to send an extra linebacker here or there. And if you got a young guy like a Sam Howell, you're going to have to bring six. 
I think of the four offensive um, lines the uh, Eagles have faced this year. I think personnel-wise, Washington is the worst offensive line they've Agreed. faced up to this point. Yet I will say this. I think they played that D-line the best of any offensive line that the Eagles have faced this, this season up to this point because of what you just said. The, the way they, they decided to technique these Eagle tackles, and I, and I said it early in the game, and I'm surprised that they were getting three, four yards. They were, they were going right up the middle. I don't know if – I didn't think anybody up to this point could run up the middle on this Eagles defense. Hmm. They found a small measure of success, which helped them in a passing game, especially on those routes over, over the middle that Howell was hitting receivers over. Deacon, I'll tell you, you know, last year I watched Jonathan Gannon play primarily a five-man front because they could not control the run. Yes. Was, they ranked 17th in the National Football League against the run. They gave up 121 yards per game. Coming into this game, the Eagles were only giving up um, 48 yards per game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they gave – how many they, – they gave up something like 150-something today? Uh, total rushing um, yards allowed 107. So 107. And two rushing touchdowns. Okay, so so those, those averages are going to go up you know, exponentially mm-hmm. just because of what happened today. Um, you saw Sean Desai implement a lot more five-man front today than he normally does. From the middle of the second quarter on, you saw a lot of five-man front. Now, the only problem with the five-man front, if you're not up challenging wide receivers at the line of scrimmage, you're at a deficiency on the back end because you have one less guy in coverage. And they don't run a lot of coverage where they go five-man and drop Nolan Smith or drop Hassan Reddick out in the flat and play cover three behind it. When you see them in five-man, they're in five-man to stop the run, and they're in five-man to get you know, to get, get pass rush and get that extra, get one-on-ones across the board. But, you know, listen, those guys in Washington, trust me, they're grown men that play a grown man's game and get paid, you know, King's Ransom to do it. And after being embarrassed by the Buffalo Bills last week, mm-hmm. I can assure you that a great head coach like Ron Rivera um, and a great offensive coordinator like Eric Bieniemy challenged everyone on the offensive side of the ball. You are going to play against probably the best defense and best offensive line in the National Football this week. Are you going to allow them to do to you what Buffalo just did to you last week? And if as a player you have a, an iota, an ounce, okay, a smidge, of pride about yourself, you're going to come out and fight. And today they came yeah, out they and fight. Did. Let's talk yeah. back to the first drive, in fact. They went 14 plays, 75 yards. And uh, there was one play we were looking at where you were talking about the, the five-man front as Slay is playing off, and that was an easy slant uh, to McLaren. And, and all of a sudden he got some rhythm, and he gets McLaren, McLaren and then Samuel again. And then they get down, and, and this is a, 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 an interesting talking point because there was a first and goal play. And they run Samuel on a, a jet sweep for the touchdown. <laughs> and that, uh, if you look at that play, first of all, Nolan Smith was completely out of sorts. He, I don't even know if he had his head up looking to see where that play was going. And Cunningham didn't follow him either. How does that happen? Lack of communication. Um, when you're mixing and matching pieces, think about what has happened with them over the last couple of weeks. You've had a number of players in and out and a lot of youth on the back end as well. That's a lack of communication because as you watch the play unfold, as soon as you see Samuel get the ball, people are standing around like this. He had clear sailing. Nobody followed him all the way across in the motion, on motion. Well, I, I, think, I can't believe it. I think it's a combination of things. I think, first of all, that there was, you know, a, a blown assignment. Because anytime a guy goes across in motion like that, especially in the red zone, your safety should be rock and rolling. One should be going back, the other one should be coming down. The other thing is, you got to be 
communicating on any kind of motion that's coming across the formation because as the defensive end or the outside backer on that side with Nolan Smith in the five-man front, right. anytime you get that guy coming across and you're down in the three-point stance, you should be you know, alerting that guy that the motion is coming to get up out of that three-point stance mm-hmm. and stand up in a two-point stance so you can see what's going on. Because he had his head down, the ball was snapped, the tackle blocked down, they pulled the guard, and he ran right to the guard and McLaurin took the ball, ran right by him like he wasn't even standing there. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a, if you're a veteran, you know, defensive end or, or rush guy, you know, you got your head up, you see what's going on, you're hearing the, the conversation that's going on behind you, you're hearing the alert to the motion, okay? And the first thing you're doing is you take a step across the line of scrimmage, you're the contained guy. Mm-hmm. So you can't ever let a guy get outside you or stretch outside of you. So the first thing you do is take a step up the field. That's, that's the thing that perplexes me about that play is that how teams have success with it because that's a free hit on a guy coming across. You either put him to sleep or you turn him back in to the defense. But that should never happen. Yeah. Never happen. All right, let's bring in the man who covered the game for Jacob Media. He's live at Lincoln Financial Field. His name is John McMullen. John, we're on the USS New Jersey, uh, and you're just in a press room. But welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank, thanks for, thanks for yeah, joining us today. How, how, you, how did you feel about this weird and wild game where the Eagles had to win it in overtime? Well, it started, but yeah, you guys got the great backdrop. That's tremendous, by the way. So I hope you guys are enjoying that. But uh, – yeah, I mean, it, the cliche in this league is division games tend to be closer than you think. Cliches tend to be cliches for a reason. Uh, here we are with Washington again, uh, and they played well. They played they played a tough game. Um, Sam Howell, I thought, handled things. I, I do think, I mentioned on the pregame show, um, I thought they would overcorrect to some of their pass protection issues against Buffalo. I think they did that uh, and and played a good game, and the Eagles persevered. And, look, that was the theme uh, post-game. Nick Sirianni in his post-game comments was saying, look, we won four games. Um, we won them in four different ways, basically. That says a lot about the team. It looks like San Francisco is going to win their up early. It's only two teams that haven't lost in this league. So it's not easy to win. We keep saying it, no style points, but they got out of here with a win. And it might have been inches because that Terry McLaurin um, near reception, um, you know, Reed Blankenship's ability to get over there, create the issue. Um, and he made the play with the crossing route right before that. He kind of got banged up. So um, they're making these plays to win football games. And um, it's pretty impressive to watch to where we're at, you know, we keep raising this number 21 now in one over the last 22 starts for Jalen and quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Hey, hey, John, let me see if you, you agree with me or not on this. Um, now, you take the win any way you can get it. That, that's understandable. But they score with 143 left in the game. You know, whether Jalen Hurts, you know, checked it at the line and went up top because he saw the coverage, okay, you get to seven, you have the lead. But my mindset was, why would you score with 143 left and give them, and, and they also have a timeout to allow them even the possibility of getting back in this game? You were running on them up the middle, control the clock, force them to use that last timeout, kick the game-winning field goal, you go home at the end of regulation. But unfortunately, they let this young quarterback and his offense go down the field, 
Sure enough, tie the game. We go to overtime. And, of course, as you know, anything possible happens in overtime. Yeah, there's a lot of things. If you think about the play before they tied it, uh, Sam Howell made a sort of, you know, he's a second-year player, but a rookie starter, a rookie starter mistake where he threw the ball uh, in front of the end zone. A free blanket ship actually let the receiver catch the football. Time runs out, game's over. Uh, they had one more time play, and they were able to get uh, Jahan Dotson on Josh Job and score the touchdown, tie the game. There's a lot of things you could look at, but Nick talked about that specifically, Deacon. He's like, you know, a lot of these teams in this league get conservative. They start worrying about, all right, let me milk the clock. Let me not give the other team a chance. And they end up making a mistake, not scoring, going backwards, whatever it may be. I was with you in the moment, though. I was like, all right, just get a first down, run this clock, let Jake Elliott kick the field goal, get the heck out of here. Um, and they saw an opportunity. They took it uh, and got the touchdown. Now, another issue with that is if A.J. Brown keeps his cool, doesn't get the taunting penalty, you know, Washington probably starts at the 25. That's an extra 11 yards. They got out to the 36 with the uh, – kickoff return because of the long kickoff. So a lot of things happened there. You learn from them. There were a lot of mistakes um, uh, and they were able to get out with the win. It's, it's, but you're right. I mean, you can make the argument that's where you should have gone. And again, Reed Blankenship, AJ, don't get that penalty. Reed Blankenship, understand where he is, understand the clock. Just let him catch the football, lay on the ground, game's over. Um, so a lot of teaching points in those sort of last two minutes of the game. John, so two things. You know, I want to debate um, Nick's response because Nick is not going to throw Jalen Hurts under the bus because Jalen Hurts obviously checked to that play in that scenario to throw that touchdown. But, you know, in my opinion, the conversation should have been, you know, in the headset between he and Brian Johnson, run the football. Let's run the football twice. Let's make him burn that third down. We got a we got a kicker that can kick it from anywhere, and let's end this thing in regulation. That's the first thing. So Nick's gonna, not going to throw Jalen under the bus for actually making that check. The second thing, did Nick address the penalties today? Because they had you know double digit penalties in this game, and they had some penalties that were very critical um, to keeping Washington you know, in the game and allowing them to maintain scoring drives, you know, from, from the first quarter right on down to the end of this football game? Uh, yeah, uh, you know, it was one of those typical things, Seth, where he said, I got to watch the film. There were certain issues. Look, we were talking about this before the game because there's this uh, uh, website that, that follows uh, officials and, and their proclivities. And Ronald Torbert was the official today, his crew. They're basically the second or third most likely to call penalties. And that held up today. That There were 18 total accepted, 11 uh, for the Eagles. But there were a lot of ticky-tack penalties, I think, on both sides. And a lot of dumb penalties. You know, the false starts, stuff like that. Landon Dickerson lining up off sides. You know, I looked that up. They've called that five times in the last three years in the NFL, an offensive lineman offsides. Um, it just doesn't happen. Um, so stuff like that, obviously, you have to um, look at and correct. But there are certain times and there are certain crews, and this is one of them, 
there's going to be a lot of penalties called. And I don't know how you prevent that. And that's probably well, that, a league that, problem more than an Eagles problem. Let's stay on that theme because we're talking about that, that penalty was called on the tush push. And, uh, you know, we, we, we like to get into conspiracy theories every now and then. Um, so is this a way as, as there's been so much complaining about it nationally, uh, does the league take this under advisement and maybe caution the officials, Hey, watch this. Cause we just can't allow this to happen repeatedly. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to a couple watch that's maybe what happened because I talked to a couple Washington writers and they were saying that the, the commanders were alerting people that. Landon Dickerson was doing this. Uh, so, you know, whether it was Ron Rivera or Jack Del Rio, you know, getting on somebody, getting in somebody's ear on the sideline and they say, watch this, watch this, watch this. And they watched it and saw it and called it. Then, you know what? I give credit to Washington if that's what happened. And I don't know if that's what happened because I wasn't in with the commander's coaches. But if they identified that and, and put it in the ear, uh, of the officials, I gotta, I gotta tip my cap to them uh, because they got a call out of it, and it, it, it backed the Eagles uh, up, and they had to punt instead of, you know, getting the brotherly shove or tush push or cheek sneak or whatever we're calling it this week. Um, <laughs> they're probably going to converse. Um, so that's a good job by Washington if that's the way it sort of unfolded. Hey John, when you look at this young Sam Howell. Um, how impressed were you with him today compared to the way he played against Buffalo last week? We saw him play well the first two games, played like a true rookie last week. Buffalo was all over him, threw him off uh, his game, threw off his timing and rhythm. Bounced back nicely today, I thought. Yeah, I thought he played really well for his experience level, especially against this pass rush, against this defensive front. He finished 29-41 for 290 no picks. There were a couple opportunities for the Eagles. I uh, made the big play. You know, I was concerned. Yeah, we see that, you know, on the last. In fact, as I said, on the second to last play, that was a really bad decision because if they catch the football, they're going to end up at the one and a half yard line. Time runs out, game's over. And you have to know as a quarterback the situation, that ball's got to go in the end zone. Um, even from play to play, seemed to learn that, said, all right, this is it. We got one more shot. I'm going to identify Josh Job and, hey, the ball's coming out, and I'm going to let my receiver try to make a play. And he made a play. Same thing happened in overtime. He, he, he gave Terry McLaurin an opportunity to make a play. And you guys probably got a better look than me. I still haven't gotten a, a better look. I, I want to see it. Um, he may have landed on Reed Blankenship's arm or hand, and that's the only thing that prevented him from making the catch. But from from Sam Howell's um, perspective on that throw, that that was a great throw live. And I said, wow, that is that is a big time throw um, to a really good receiver. So I, I was very impressed with Sam Howell. And he's also you know, he had, he had six carries for 40 yards. He's, he's also way more athletic than I think people realize. And I think the Eagles defense was a little bit surprised by that. Well, he did. Um, Terry McLaurin did land on um, 
his hand yeah. on on um, Blankenship's arm. I mean, that's that was the saving grace, to be honest with you. Um, the linebackers, um, Zach Cunningham finished. He led the team with 13 tackles today. Um, Nicholas Morrow came in second with 11 total tackles and three sacks today. Um, I've been saying for the last couple of weeks that the linebackers have been playing extremely well, in my opinion. It just has not shown up in the stat box how well they've actually been playing. Um, they continue along this line. Kobe Dean is probably not set to come back for another week or two. Um, I know we have quarterback controversies throughout this league. When quarterbacks get injured or quarterbacks are out and the other guy comes in and plays well, do we have a linebacker controversy when Kobe Dean is healthy? Well, I, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so, Seth, because they think Nicobe's their best linebacker. They think, obviously, he's going to be the future of this team. Future, we talk about two, three years windows these days. Um, and look, I mean, Zach Cunningham, I agree with you. Nick Morrow played tremendous today. He's played tremendous since he's come back. But you've got large sample size with these guys. And I think you know, with other teams with different strengths, maybe their weaknesses show up a little bit more over the long term. Um, but I mean, they played well. Um, and and Nick Morrow specifically has been a, a big surprise. Remember, he didn't even make the 53. They were moving on. And he didn't, for people that forget, he wasn't even on the original practice squad group signings. Now I'm sure he was looking around to see if somebody else needed a veteran linebacker, eventually came back to Philadelphia. All of a sudden, the injury happens. He gets elevated. Then he gets signed to the 53. And now he's making plays and and, and good for him. But long term, yeah, I mean, they're going to go with the Kobe Dean. They're, they're, they're comfortable with that decision. John, listen, um, there's nothing wrong with being cut. Um, here, here. I was cut. Didn't make the 53-man roster. Came back six, seven weeks later. I was starting. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's, sometimes it's perspective for some guys. And obviously for Nick Morrow, it was perspective because, in my opinion, he's played some outstanding football. And I, and, and I, I believe what you're saying about how they feel and what they think about N'Kobe Dean. But I'm waiting to see how it plays out because these guys have made plays and they played some really good football. I'm not saying that the COVID team can't match that, but when I continue to look at productive by production by the time we get to week 10, I'm going to have some questions and maybe even some reservations about that decision if they decide to take these guys off the field in totality. Well, the, the, the one thing about Nicobe that is legitimate, you could be certainly worried about his durability. Um, people were concerned with that coming out of college, and all of a sudden he's already out, um, and he's out for multiple weeks. Best ability is availability, as they always say. But ultimately, when he does come back and he is ready to come back, I think it's really, I think who Dick Morrow is pushing it's Zach Cunningham. Now I think he's in the conversation and you say, all right, who's better in that second off-ball linebacker role, um, Nick Morrow or Zach Cunningham? I think that is starting to become a more legitimate conversation. And from that, the domino falls that you have better depth 
overall because, you know, both these guys can come in and play at certainly respectable levels. So I think it's kind of a good problem to have because uh, they played better than expected. But I do think now you have to start. And remember, Nick Morrow has extensive experience playing both Mike and Will. So he can play both positions. So can Zach. Um, so you have some versatility. Um, I think it's a good problem at, at a position we thought that the Eagles didn't have much at. And maybe they have a little bit more than most of us thought. All right, John, last question for me is this. And, and I'm going to ask you this all week because, you know, we look, last week we talked about them being 6-0 and and not really being headed. Does this game indicate that maybe they could slip against a bad team? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's two teams that are undefeated now. I mean, it is hard to win in this league. And they could have easily lost this game. Again, you know, Terry McLaurin gets his foot in. Who knows what happens from that point? Um, I, I was questioning, you know, Washington, where they were in the game. What if they go for two there? Say, well, we got a chance here to win this game on the road against a better team, not go to overtime. What if they convert two at that particular time? You know, one time Ron Rivera was known as Riverboat Ron a uh, long time ago. Obviously, he went in a different direction. But they could have easily lost this football game. Um, and, yeah, I don't think they're going 17-0. and And they're going to be favored in a lot of games. So, ultimately, yeah, somewhere along the line, they're going to lose a game. But, man, but it won't, I, be, it won't know, be next week. Now, the Rams looked good for a while, but then it kind of fell apart um, against Indianapolis. But if – you know, this team's kind of boring in the fact that I mentioned that number, 21-1. and one. I mean, they keep winning. And we keep – look, I nitpick more than anybody. But they keep winning. And it's a play here. And it's a play there. And you say, oh, this is ugly, this is ugly, this is ugly. And at a big spot, they're making plays. Whether it's Reed Blankenship, Jake Elliott, I mean – we, we could spend the whole show talking about Jake Elliott. Was there any doubt in anybody's mind he was making that kick? No. There wasn't a time. No, not at all. And that's four yards. Um, they they make big plays and big moments. It's pretty impressive. Like I, like I said, for people that have followed this team for a long time, you don't go 21 and 1 too often over a span. Um, so – it's been pretty special, and they're a good football team. John. Hey, John, real quick, uh, my last question to you is this. Now that we have a four-game sample size, and, and we agree in unison that 4-0 is 4-0, we don't care how you get there. Um, but what do you want to see this team clean up in terms of becoming more consistent? Oh, definitely. I mean, definitely starts with penalties, but I think, you know, that might be cleaned up by having a different crew on a different day, some of it. Um, and, and, you know, the consistency in the passing game, I still don't think is there. The numbers were there today. AJ had a huge day. Uh, DeMonte made some big plays, but they still haven't gotten Dallas Goddard involved. You know, DeAndre Smith Swift made a big play on that final drive in the passing game. 
they haven't gotten him involved, but they're making big plays at big moments. Um, I just more consistency in putting a, a complete game. Uh, and then defensively, I don't think we've talked enough about the defense because it's looked, you know, they're still good stopping the run, but I do think there are some concerns on the back end when it comes to pass coverage. When teams do hold up a little bit in pass protection, it's pretty clear that quarterbacks who can throw the ball, you saw it with Cousins, um, you saw it a little bit with Mac Jones, now you've seen it with Sam Howell. You can make plays down the field on this team and I think they got to tighten that up. John, a lot of it is going to be, you know, those plays that you're talking about, in my opinion, we talked about it at the beginning of the pregame show, um, is that they've got to tighten up coverage. I just don't believe that you can survive in this league playing eight to ten yards off the football, and I think that's a lot of their problem, is that, you know, they know, teams know that they are a prolific pass rushing team, that their defensive front is the strength of the defensive team and they know that they can't hold on to the ball that the rush is going to get there so you start seeing this short passing game three-step drop if you will um and hurry up and get the ball out of your hands and when the cornerbacks are going to be off the ball you know eight to ten yards that's just an invitation for a quick slant a quick stop or a quick out route you know depending on the the technique that the cornerback is playing um, but you talked about you also talked about this team being boring um, and having been being 21 and one, um, they're playing with house money. They may seem like they're boring, boring, but in my opinion, the, the law averages are right on their behind right now. They can't keep playing games like this. There's going to come a game where it's going to bite them in the behind. Um, and I, th I just think that good football teams that learn over time, they get to a point where they look at, you know, the almost, you know, they almost lost today. They almost lost you know, week one, all of those games where they almost lose, there's, you know, there's just a fraction of things going in a different direction that causes them to lose that game. And the, and the law averages say that sooner or later that catches up with you and that will bite you. They better hurry up and get this fixed, in, in my opinion. Well, I agree. I talk about regression to the mean all the time, whether it's particular players, teams. But I got to tell you, Seth, Look, who was the flavor of the week in this league this week? Miami Dolphins coming off 70 <laughs> points. They get beat by four touchdowns. Who was the flavor of the week over the first two weeks? How impressive did Dallas look? And they're back looking impressive again today. And they lose to Jonathan Gannon's Cardinals. Um, other than San Francisco, um, who continues to win – they continue to play well today. They're playing right now. Um, that's it. Sea Eagles and San Francisco. So their bad games, and they've had them, they find ways to win. You know, Miami, they're splashy. Mike McDaniel, motion, he's brilliant, loses by four touchdowns. This team doesn't have games like that. I think there's something to say about that. John, thanks very much. We appreciate uh, your contributions. Thanks for hanging with us here as uh, we continue the Pineland Hockey Post Game Show. Chris John McMullen brought to us by Raftery Subaru, friends of the Post Game Show. If you're in the market for a Subaru, please consider Raftery Subaru, family-owned since 1977.
It's all about you at Raftery Subaru. What do you think, Joe? That work? Rafter, 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 Rafferty. Rafferty. Do I have to sing that over? Please don't sing <laughs> don't, it. Again. Don't do it. Let's, let's don't, a, don't do it. Let's take a break. The, the fish uh, are howling. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> no, man, that was that sounded pretty good to me. I don't know. I heard Mar Scooby doing it back. Mar Mar <laughs> Mark Farsad rejoins us here on the Pond Hockey Eagles postgame show live from the Battleship New Jersey back after this. Go passionately, go fearlessly, go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction, go with trust. Go first! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Score and save at Southeastern PA in Delaware with Colony Pools this football season. And let the experts close your pool with a custom Merlin safety cover in green for the birds. And if you join our winter watch team, we'll give you another 20% off and Colony Pools will handle it all. Keep your tiles on your pool, not in your pool. Fly with Colony right now, birds fans. Visit flywithcolony.com. Hi, I'm Jim Muehlbronner, Managing Partner at DelVal Insurance Group. Give us a call. We're a local, knowledgeable agency, not an 800 number. Go Birds! Weather forecasting is a team game. We rely on each other every day, updating the models and passing along new critical information. We have a team of five experienced meteorologists and a specialized weather producer, Paul. Say hi, Paul. Sometimes what I see in the model, Cecily could see something different. That's when we come together as a team to make our most accurate prediction. And all of this backed by more than 100 AccuWeather scientists. It's a team game. And we have the best team in town. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. Welcome back to the Pilot Hockey Eagles postgame show. We are live from the deck of Battleship New Jersey. You know, the Battleship holds more than 2 million gallons of fuel, and it goes 14 feet per gallon. Now, by today's gas prices, I have calculated, guys, that it would take, uh, since they probably put high test in this ship, right? Pre premium. Five, right, premium. Like $5 a gallon. So uh, $10 million to fill up uh, the, the ship at today's prices at the pump. 
Hey, that's a drop in the bucket for the government. So, <laughs> drop in the bucket. I guess it is. Uh, let's bring in Mark Farzetta, extending the play with Mark Farzetta as we bring him back to the postgame show. Uh, Mark, uh, we're extending the play here with you. Well, good to be with you guys again talking about uh, a hard-fought Eagles win. I'm sure that phrase was mentioned a lot. Heard John McMullen talking about it. All those guys in the locker room basically just doing whatever they can to extend the record and being unbeaten now for four straight games to start off this season. Oh, I thought he was oh, – I thought you were throwing <laughs> at the video or something. <laughs> are, we ready? are we ready for Ebot? We got, we're, let's go to Ebot. Here we are. Yes. We're extending the conversation to get in this plug, gentlemen, like a pack of pros that we are. Let's talk about our wonderful partnership right now with EBOD Foundation. This is wonderful. We all know someone, or maybe perhaps ourselves, we have been affected by Alzheimer's and people suffering from dementia, a loved one, someone in our family, a friend. Well, we are doing what we can to partner with the EBOD Foundation and something that we're doing calling Score for a Cure. You could text uh, the words uh, Team Miss, Team Gun, Team Seth, as well as Team Farzi. Uh, to all the wonderful people that they're there for score for a cure. And you can make sure to help out. You can just go to Jacob Media to find out more information about how you can donate, how you can participate, and how you can be a part of finding a cure for these awful diseases. All right. Now, now Mark, let's extend the play with this concept since Sean McMullen brought it up. Uh, and we, 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 we briefly thought about uh, the commanders going for two to win the game. Uh, how does everybody feel about that? Is that something that that team with really nothing to lose should have done this early in the season? Go for the win, Seth? Well, I'm, I just knew that he'd go for it. I think when you're on the road um, and you're trying to beat a team, you know, that, that's undefeated, that is the uh, conference champions, the division champion from last year, um, you, and you have a chance to win, I think you have to go for it. I was really shocked that he, you know, elected to take the game in overtime. You know, if I was in his shoes, I would have went with it. But, but, but Derek, yeah. you know, you've covered many games, right? If a coach goes, tries to go for that and fails, I mean, there's hell to pay publicly on him, right? Yeah, but we've seen this happen so many times over the past couple of years, and especially a team like Washington that wasn't even supposed to be on the same field with the Eagles today. Mm -hmm. If he gets it, he's the hero. And even if he doesn't get it, well, you weren't supposed to win the game any day. And the analytics, the robot told you what to do, and you didn't listen. So Absolutely. shame on you for not listening. Hey, listen, I, I just feel like there was no guarantee that they were going to have a legitimate shot at winning this football game. That, in my opinion, that two-point conversion was the best chance that they had yep. today of walking away from Lincoln Financial Field with a, with a W. Okay? And I can promise you that – Ron Rivera went against what the book and what the numbers and what the analytics said. He went with his gut, and his gut you think got the him. analytics say he should have gone for it to try. Absolutely. To win. Yeah, yeah, Let that. me ask you this, especially would, on the road. Would you have gone for it? No. Would you have gone for it? Absolutely. Now, if yeah. I would, if if Washington was at home, now, in my opinion, you go for the tie. Yeah. But on the road, you go for the win. Farzi, would you have gone for it? If I'm Ron Rivera, I'm absolutely going for it in that situation. Again, you're in the game yeah. against the Eagles. And you put it all down on one line. 
just like that. I mean, no one expected the, the Commanders really even be in this game. We're talking about 9 to 10-point underdogs going into it. And I guess Riverboat Ron is just not a thing anymore because <laughs> the old Riverboat Ron would have absolutely gone for it to try to win that football game. I don't know. I, I don't risk losing a game. I'd rather put it in the hands of my players. They got the first possession in overtime, didn't they? Yes, Mike, they did. Mike, it would have been in the hands of the players. It would have been well, in the well, hands yeah. of your young yeah, quarterback. It, it, would, it would have been in the, in the hands of your young quarterback to get it done. I've seen so many teams go for it in the third quarter. The third quarter, when you still have so much football to play. Some get it, some don't. It's like become the, commonplace The third now. quarter is different. If Why? You, if you, How because we going if, if you don't get it there, you lose the game. It's they lost the game anyway. You well, lost but anyway. you can't project that you're going to lose the game in overtime. You can't even supposed you've got to go risk-reward there. The okay. risk is that you're going to stop that play. Okay. okay, but you can't project that you're going to win it just because you went into overtime. There's nothing to guarantee a win or a loss, okay? So if you have the chance on the road against a team that you're a nine-point underdog to, yeah. you have to you go for two there. You just moved the ball down the field on them, Seth, to score a touchdown to tie it. I mean, they, they, they went right down the field. Are, are you speaking from a football analytic perspective know, or a you know, better perspective? I, I don't like – if I'm a coach, right. I, I don't like to lose the game because I got greedy and try to go for it. I, I le, I'd rather go into overtime and be safe. This is the football we know today, Mike. Get used to it. <laughs> the other you thing, what to, I would do. The, the, I know. The, the I other, wouldn't do the, it. The other thing is yeah. you hear coaches that go for it in that situation, whether they win or whether they lose. Yeah. I wanted to express the confidence in my team. Yeah, how many can, coaches, wait, 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 wait. Well, Seth, let, how many coaches in the NFL do that? Let me finish. A lot of them do. Oh, well, who, who goes for a two-point conversion to lose you the have game? To, in it, the NFL, in college, you're yeah. not. If your mentality yeah. is I'm going for it to lose it, then guess what? You're going to lose it. You don't call a play with the with the with, with the with the mentality yeah. with the thought that you that it's not going to be successful. What's the last time an NFL team that you can remember an NFL team winning a game by going for a two-point conversion instead of tying it to go into overtime? They love Love to go into overtime. No, teams do not like to go into overtime. Well, they don't like to, to, no. to lose with a two-point conversion either. Yeah, but Mike, how many times over the last several have we seen teams go for a two-point conversion when we that's, thought the other way and they get it? And the they game. get it. No, no, no. Even game. in the fourth quarter. Well, I, I, and they I'm get it. You, I can't remember the last time an NFL team decided to try to win it or lose it on a two-point conversion. When I, you're when you're a perennial loser like the Washington Commanders, yes, and you just been bought out, okay and you just brought in the hottest offensive coordinator in the National Football League, you try to win that football okay. game. I'm sorry. Right. And, and, and what it expresses to your team, because if they pull it off, if they can get two yards, okay, in that situation, you know that the Eagles are probably going to come with an all-out blitz, that the cornerbacks are susceptible because they've been giving up slant routes and fade routes and all of that stuff all day long, that, that there's a high probability your quarterback's on fire. You take the chance to win the game because that can change the whole mentality of your football team. Now, they just lost this game, and when you, when they pan to those Washington Commanders team um, um, players sitting on the sideline, when Jake Elliott nailed that 54-yard field goal, mm -hmm. they were dejected. They probably won't win another football <laughs> game for the next three weeks. Oh, God. I don't know about that. Am I making sense here? I don't know. No, you're you're ready to sense. go for it. I, I understand yeah. what you're saying, but yeah. to answer the question, now, I had a – in the dark recesses of my memory where I try not to go, 
Uh, the Giants actually went for two last year, and it was not at the final play of the game. It wasn't to, to win the game, but it was to go and take the lead. And they actually did go for two as opposed to, uh, opposed to elected to go for the point after, and they actually went up 21-20 to 20 yep. on the Tennessee Titans, ended up winning the game. I thought it was Brian Dable. I couldn't remember if it was yes, last year. Yes. And it was, it was Brian Dable. It was the first Dable. game of the season. How much time? And what, and what yeah. did he say? What did he say? <laughs> yes. He said, I want it from day one yes. to exhibit – confidence in my football team and it shifted the mentality of that football team for the whole year yes. and they went on and made the How much playoffs. time was left in the not game only that, one not only that one minute was left in the game one, one minute one not minute. only, not only right. that but when he made the call he turned to everybody on the sideline and, and said them. should we go for it yes they said in unison we go for it that set the tone now i will tell you this also as dejected and ticked off as washington was as losing this game in overtime this was a moral victory for them today because nobody expected them to be close to this team after what happened last week, they had a chance at the end of this game. Now, they're dejected. Yes, nobody likes to lose football games. They slugged it out with a defending Super Bowl runner-up, a team that was averaging 28 points a game. They matched this team point for point. The only difference was the ball didn't bounce their way in the, in the enemy's backyard on a day like this. Can I share something with you, D-Gun? Sure. Okay, so I'm not playing anymore. We're sitting up here. We're talking about sure. the game. For us, there are moral victories. But for players, there are no such thing as moral victories. I'm telling you right now, when you go back later on this week right. and you watch this game and you watch the TV version, and when that ball goes through the uprights, they pan the yes. entire sideline of the Washington Commanders. Watch the, de de the dejection that you see in the body language yes. and the faces of those players to realize that we battled our entire, the entire day, okay? We played against the one or two you know, seed in the NFC going into work week three, and we had a chance to win, and we went into overtime and lost. Okay, right. let me ask Got you it. this then. You come out of that game against Buffalo last week. What are you saying as a team? They were demoralized. Oh, my goodness. This rookie quarterback showed his true colors under a worthy opponent, and he buckled. Now their heads are swimming. What the heck do we have or what don't we have in a quarterback? He comes back in this game, plays a near flawless game. No picks. Used his athleticism, picked up necessary yards, running the ball, made some great throws. Now, even though you lost the game, you come back and say, you know what? We might have something here. We I, might I, have something listen, here. I, I get it, man, but I know I know from experience that, you know, football is a emotional game. Roller coaster. It's, 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 it's so much emotion that goes into it, and there's so much adrenaline that goes into it. And your body only has so much adrenaline on a week-to-week -week basis. Right. Your body can only recharge to a certain extent. They recharged for today yep. and still came away and lost. What do you think their adrenaline stores are going to be like next week? I'm telling you right now, they're going to get work next week. And play? I don't even who know who they play. I got to see who they're playing. I got to see right now who <laughs> they're right, playing. Let's, let's give out some game balls right now, folks. And uh, first of all, that segment brought to us by Colony Pools. Let Colony Pools close your pool. Go to flywithcolony.com. Get your eagle green pool cover. It's the hottest thing going in the Delaware Valley right now. Time for game balls. I'm going to start because uh, I was going to give my game ball to A.J. Brown until he foolishly got that. Uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, which made this victory a little harder. So I'm going to go with the, the man who will never get a game ball for the rest of the year. And I'm going Kenneth Morrow with three sacks and about ten tackles today for Morrow. You know, I, that's, a, that's a good one. And I'm going to agree with you up to a certain point. I agree with what you said. 
AJ Brown could have easily been the slam dunk answer with the with the volume of catches he had, but because he made a rookie mistake in the end zone and cost him significant yards and forced him to go overtime, I'm giving it to Jake Elliott. Okay, that's the second time in a row you gave it to. It's him. not the second time in a row. First of all, he, we we have a one kicker it. limit for game. No, balls. we do not. <laughs> yes, no, we, yes, hold we on. Do. You've already exceeded won, the limit. Who won, who won the game today? Who won the game? How long was the field goal? That's a chip shot for him. I don't care. Well, well, he's a kicker. It's not a chip shot for every All kicker right. in the league. Give it to a kicker he had a, Did he not have a 61-yarder? Uh, okay. He had a 54 today. Did he win the game? Seth, do better What would that. you have said Seth, if he had right. missed that field do, goal? Do me, better what would you have said if he had missed it? Let me make him twice as mad. Okay. I, I can't give the defense who gave up 31 points to a young quarterback in his fourth or fifth start that was completely demoralized last week, and you could do nothing to get him under control. So I can't give it to a defensive player. You know, if A.J. Brown gets 14 targets in the game, he should have the kind of data he had, okay? He's just that good. Jake Elliott, man, let me tell you something. Four or five field goals today, oh. right down the middle, and the game winner from 54 yards with all the pressure and stretch stress of this game because of how it went up and down all day long. Not only is Jake Elliott the player of the game, I would venture to say, and I would bet you some good coin right now, that he's going to be the NFC special teams player again listen, listen, for the second listen, time listen, learn this some, year learn something in four weeks. Say that again. Say it so I, we get it. I want to record this. He heard the so echo. I can, so I can send it to him on a text he, later tonight. He, he, he heard again. the echo. It's I all good. I startled that a big, bad, macho football player like yourself <laughs> would go with a kicker twice. That was I'm, a foot, I'm, a foot, I'm a football analyst now. I am no longer a football <laughs> player. Marty, who, hey, hey, tell me who's your analytical thought. It was your analytical thought. Guys, it is what it is. I know a million things happened in this football game, but the most incredible thing I saw in this football game was Devontae Smith's 37-yard reception right before halftime that helped set up at least getting them three points on that drive. Of course, it was a close game. Goes into overtime without without his concentration and his ability to make that catch. The Eagles aren't winning this football game. I'm going to go with Devontae Smith as my game ball winner. All right. There you go. There are your game balls. <laughs> <laughs> Devontae Smith. And, uh, Nick, and Nick, come on, I, Mo, Nicholas Morrow, take a game ball, put it on the shelf. No, 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 no that was a good one. They're few that, and far between. That was a good one for my man. I'm going to say this, Mike. Yeah, you had a good, you had a good choice. Thank you. But I couldn't agree with it. It's the only thing. <laughs> All right, huh? Mr. Kicker. <laughs> he will probably get it again before the season's over, too. Coming back, we got the doc. We got our sports doc, Dr. Bruce, coming up for some injury reports on what happened today. It is the Pine Hockey Eagles post game show. Look at this beautiful set we're on today, right here at the Battleship New Jersey. Back after this. My wife was in an accident that changed our lives forever. She was in rehabilitation for years. She had to learn to walk again, she couldn't take care of herself. We couldn't afford a nurse. We were running out of options. One conversation with Pond Lee Hockey changed everything. They understood what we were going through and immediately helped us navigate the legal process. We can't thank them enough. Pond Lee Hockey, tell us your story. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Champions on three. One, two, three. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. 
Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community, at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now. So Good Now helps kids in under-resourced areas by connecting them with student-athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most. When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now. It's all about you. Some say courage is something you're born with. Others say courage is something you find. In every generation throughout history, courage has been celebrated, sought after, needed. It holds the potential for a life of impact. But what if courage isn't just something you hope for or stumble upon? What if courage is something that can be shaped at a place that inspires you, where leaders invest in you, your community believes in you, and your life becomes something bigger than it could ever be alone? The perfect pair. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. Well, welcome back to the Pondland Hockey Eagles postgame show. You're looking at us. Look at the sun setting beautifully over the city of Philadelphia here in Camden as we're on the deck of the Battleship New Jersey. Just a, uh, uh, First of all, it looks like a postcard, doesn't it? Do people beautiful. send postcards beautiful. anymore? That's a beautiful shot. I'm thinking uh, I should be fishing right now. You should. Derek Guns should <laughs> have his, his head in that picture. Hello, this is Derek from uh, wherever, uh, the islands, <laughs> somewhere. I wish I was coming up the 18th hole somewhere right about now. A <laughs> couple of tidbits here. Trying to beat the sun in, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I know. The USS New Jersey, uh, first battleship to have Tomahawk missiles installed. Really? They did that in 1981. Now, wow. Tomahawk missile can hit a target 1,500 miles away. And here's another thing. The phalanx cannons, a defensive weapon system installed in 1981-82 here, can fire 3,000 rounds per minute, annihilating anti-ship missiles. Don't mess with this, Battleship. I'm looking at the guns on this thing. This is unbelievable, man. Wow. You have bigger guns than Seth Joyner. That's saying something. That is saying something. Yeah, this thing. I don't know about that. I'm look, looking look at, at those. We can't, we can't see them on our screen, but they're right behind us. They're yeah. monster. Yeah. Yeah. Got, so those things can, like, shoot 1,500 miles? Can you miles? imagine being on here when those things are firing? Oh, I'm telling you, man. That's why these guys all wore headsets, man. Yeah. But see, back then, you know, they didn't know that, man. There you go. Lo yeah, a lot of guys that had. Um, there you go. Take a look. look. That. that is incredible. Yeah, man. that really what is. What is it, like, what is that, 40, 50 feet long? What is that? I wonder what caliber rounds down. come out of this. Oh, oh, man. My goodness. All right. Wow. Seth, would you ever get shot out of a cannon, like at a circus or anything? 
Hell hey, you're, no. You're a daring guy. No, I'm not that well, daring. You went in, in a cage with tigers, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> what, you draw the line somewhere? Yeah, I'm not getting shot out of the hand. <laughs> All right. All right, let's get, let's get our injury report. Dr. Gr- uh, Bruce Grossinger is with us. Uh, Dr. Bruce, we saw an injury. Cam Jurgens goes out at halftime with a foot injury. They said he was suffering from a little bit of a groin situation. What did you see with the foot? Well, I think it's both a foot and a groin injury. And the concern is we just got a report from Dave Zangaro of NBC Sports. He, wa- he walked out in a walking boot. Uh-oh. And, Mike, you recall that's not a good sign. No. The last player who walked out in a walking boot was Nicobe Dean. And he won't be back until game six of the New York Jets. So that, that brings up a broad differential diagnosis, including turf toe, uh, fractures, and ankle strains. And Cam, second-year player out of, out of Nebraska, certainly at right guard, a very important player. So we don't have anything new except for the fact he just left the, the locker room in a walking boot. Doc, in the second half of this game, Darius Slay um, came up and made a tackle. Um, and he chopped the receiver down, looked, you know, dazed, kind of grabbed at his head for a second. Um, and when the staff went out to attend to him, um, it took, took him a while to get him up off the ground. Um, he walked to the sideline, and as he's walking to the sideline, he was kind of doing his arm like this, like whatever had happened had something to do with his shoulder when it was clear to everybody that he took a blow to the head. Now, the players know that once they go into that – that, that blue tent, for all intents and purposes, if you go into the concussion protocol, that more likely than not, you're done for the day. Did they handle that situation properly? In my opinion, they did not. Well, I wasn't on the sidelines, but I presume that the uh, there's a neurologist right there, an independent clinical neurologist, who had to have spoken to him and given something called a mini mental status exam. So I understand Slay's intent on deflecting the injury from his brain, but they do interview him there, and I presume that he was interviewed and he did pass the basic mental many status exam, which is asking him about plays in the game, speech language. They also look at his eyes. There's a very important eye sign called nystagmus, which you can't really fake and you can't really hide. So I believe the neurologist did look at him, did look for nystagmus, which is twitching of the eyes, it did speak to him, and I think he was appropriately cleared to stay in the gate. Hey, hey, Doc, when you talk about that, is there a possibility there could be like a delayed reaction? You know, after that, sometimes, you know, these guys don't actually have symptoms until later that night or the next day even for that matter. And indeed, Bradbury himself, if we recall, completed a game, and he went into concussion protocol and missed the last game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, D-Gun, that exact scenario played out just a week ago, so they have to be very vigilant. Man, the twitching in the eyes. My eyes twitch all the time, boy. Yeah, they kept I, I really, that's, uh, that's because you cr- you crazy. That's how, how long does does that take? Because I, I would think that um, the camera might might have caught some of that if they were uh, you know checking the, all. No, the, the I seen him grab his head. That should have been enough yeah, for them I, to I at least. You know, he got, he got kicked like, in the head. Like how how kicked. long would that take to go through all those checkpoints on the sideline? Or can he just say because he was. He, he raised his shoulder a little bit, which is indicating that maybe he had a stinger or whatever it was. No, uh, maybe that the, was the deflection. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. He, maybe he's he throwing knew, him off. He like, knew that he was going in the tent. So to, in order to deflect from going in the tent, because he knows what happens if he's going in the tent. Yeah, well, that's what I'm asking. He started raising the so shoulder be, like, oh, my shoulder. It was not his shoulder. So before he goes into the tent, they would have to go through all these procedural things that Doc just said. How long would that take? 
That would only take a few seconds. So oh, he okay. would speak to him. This is not an intense protocol. Somebody would look at him, speak to him, ask him about the last play, check his orientation, check his pupillary response and the eye response. That would all take probably 30 seconds and would probably happen when he was sitting down and the cameraman may not have caught it. So I understand your concern, but I, I believe that did happen. And um, although I wasn't there. Yeah, because he was right back in the play, in, in the game, yeah, the, the right next play, right back in the game, and yeah. you know, and you're right, Seth. You know, they have a spotter upstairs that uh, is supposed to look look for situations like that, and you would think that that guy would say, "Get him in a tent." Didn't happen. Oh well. Anything else that you saw out there, Doc? Any tweaks? Well, I would say that Nicobe Dean will be back in two weeks. I think that's going to be really important because of the great linebacker play, and Nicobe, uh, you know, we always look at the linebackers as a short area. But he'll be back. I understand he's doing just fine. And thankfully, uh, Landon Dickerson had a really good game. He came back from last week's knee contusion and really pancaked a few players. And the offensive line really uh, played well that second half. They had some great pass blocking. All right. That's Dr. Bruce Grossinger. Thanks, uh, Doc. And uh, we'll take a quick break. And we're going to come back. Uh, we've got uh, plenty more to discuss on the show, including the intentional grounding that uh, Jalen Hurts took at the end of that game. We haven't discussed yet. We'll do that after this on the Pondla Hockey Eagles postgame show right here. We're live in Battleship, New Jersey today. Philadelphia fans were cut from a different cloth. Born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life. We believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible. While we may be from different neighborhoods, come Sunday, we are one, and we will be heard. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. My name's Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech, we offer three major services, the first one being basement waterproofing, the second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs, and then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you are having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. I'm Jim Muehlbronner, Managing Partner at DelVal Insurance Group. Give us a call. We're a local, knowledgeable agency, not an 800 number. 
Go Birds! Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. to the Pond La Hockey Eagles postgame show live from the Battleship, New Jersey. You can see the sun is setting. It's pretty much set already as we see the outline of the city of Philadelphia here from our perch. Uh, a, a couple of things I want to talk about before we get in. We have Kayla Santiago joining us uh, for this final segment. Um, there was a, an intentional grounding call uh, at the end of that game that almost took the – it would have taken the Eagles out of field goal position for the game-winning field goal. They needed a clutch pass to Devontae Smith mm-hmm. to get back to that spot. What did you think of that play? I thought it was a bad call. You know, there's nothing intentional about that throw. There was a mix-up between the quarterback and the wide receiver. That happens all the time in the National Football League, you know, where the receiver runs one route, the quarterback's expecting him to run a different route, and the quarterback's thrown with anticipation, and it's a it's – a, um, it's an incomplete pass. I think that, you know, I believe that that crew completely dropped the ball on that play, in my opinion. I didn't see much complaining about that play. Did you see? No, no, I didn't see any complaining at all about the play. Now he was still he was still in the pocket, um, and, and he threw it away. And, and I've seen this call before. If there's not a receiver in the vicinity and your quarterback's still in the pocket, uh, they're going to call that. I don't agree with it. I think it's a dumb rule. I think they need to get rid of it. Because like Seth said, obviously they were not on the same page. Receiver thought one thing, quarterback thought another, and then that happens. But somewhere down the road, that's going to cost somebody a game. You know, if they don't, ch- there's another rule they need to change. That's, it's going to cost somebody well, I, a game. You know, if you if you put yourself in the mind of the quarterback, there you go. Like he's throwing as far as he can. Nobody's going to catch it. Right. So technically, that is intentional grounding, is it not? No. AJ uh, Brown was supposed to run a post against zero coverage, and he broke the route off. And Jalen Hurts was expecting for him to run the post. So he threw the ball to the post. Wasn't like, you know, the, and, and you can tell the difference between an intentional grounding and a miscommunicated, you know, pass. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's a judgment call that the referees should make in the proper context in the right way. I mean, in a play like that, there you go again putting the game in the referee's yeah. hands and instead of allowing yeah. the players I, I to actually make agree with you. I was just kind of, yeah. you know, getting – I know you like – You're just trying, trying to stir up trouble. Trying to get, yeah. Stir yeah. it up a little bit. Uh, Kayla, they're 4-0 now, all right? And, I just uh, want you to know when, they, they, when I get stirred up is because <laughs> I choose to. You don't do anything to make to stir me up, Mike. Oh, I, I, no, I know you either. I know how to get under your skin. Yes, I do. I must be losing my touch there. Hey, Mike, I know how to get under your skin. Oh, yeah. Kayla's 4-0. They got a couple bop games coming up. By bop, I mean easy wins. There should be with the Rams coming in and then the bad uh, New York Jets uh, and then Miami game. So right now, when you're looking at this team and you look how they got a little pressed today, um, what are they right now? It's tough at this point of the season because I go into each week and I say, okay, well, it's just week three. Okay, well, it's just week four. And it's continuously the same reasons we see Jalen Hurts is not the Jalen Hurts we saw from a season ago. I do think that they're able to get the win against the Rams and the Jets. But the Miami Dolphins is a game that I look at and I say, oh, boy, that worries me a little bit, especially what we saw in the secondary this week. Now, I don't think that Darius Slay and James Bradbury are going to have games like they did today against the Commanders. But if they do next week, then there's definitely an issue. You can't expect those guys to have miscues 
like they did today and then all of a sudden expect all these other rookies and expect all these guys that don't have a lot of experience to step up and make those big plays. Those are your guys. They need to step it up and they need to have these guys under their back as well. I think it's a little bit of a worry against the Miami Dolphins because of the secondary. Other than that, I think they'll be okay against the Rams and the Jets. Hey, Kayla, can I, can I share some information with you on that high-powered Miami team that you're worried about? Tua Tungavailoa today was 25 for 35, 285 yards, one touchdown, one interception, four sacks. They ran for 142 yards on the ground. Um, Tyreek Hill was held to three catches for 58 yards. Ain't nobody scared of the Dolphins. I might be a little bit, but I don't think that Eagles defensive front is. Listen, they put up a lot of points last week. They weren't impressive this week. But I do think if the Eagles at that point, they're 5-0, and they're 6-0, and I think that's a game that you might say, all right, it could go either way. Maybe they will end up 7-0, and but the way that they're playing right now and the way they played today, I don't think that's going to happen. That's my opinion, though, guys. No, listen, that's where I, I'm at I, with I, it. I, I agree. That's going to be, you know, their first big test. But I think that in a lot of ways, uh, Miami – was was exposed in some in some regards today because I mean I gave you Miami's numbers now Josh Allen was 20 21 of 25 for 320 yards and four interceptions I mean four four touchdowns rather and then they turned around and followed it up with another 104 yards on the ground now the Eagles can certainly duplicate that you know they were pretty balanced they were more than balanced with 29 runs and 24, 25 passes. I think that that's the key to being able to control a team like Miami is being able to control their possessions and minimizing how many shots you give them at throwing the ball down the field. The Eagles, are certain, the Eagles certainly have the capability of doing that. Hopefully by the time we get to week seven, they are there. We're waiting for that game. We're waiting for when everything comes together. But every year is a dirt different situation. Jalen Hurts of last year can't be the Jalen Hurts of this year because this is a new year with a new set of circumstances, new coordinator, teams have improved, other teams have gotten worse, so on and so forth. So the main thing is they're winning. They're finding ways to win games. You know, some of them, you know, they should have lost. Um, and they found ways to win games, you know, where they played halfway decent. Um, so I'm just projecting. We're just having a good conversation. <laughs> Don't take it personally. And, and of course, it's a Sunday night game here, so that yes, gives the Eagles decided advantage. Oh, yeah. Some really uh, strange results through the NFL today. So, so let's look at the two teams that the Eagles are supposed to contend with in, in this conference. The Cowboys romp over the Patriots, or, or they are romping right now. It's 31-3, to and the 49ers are beating the Cardinals. So those two uh, teams are keeping pace. If we get the Dolphins lost today, 48 to 20, by the way. And then there's these two Ohio teams, which both of them are frauds. The, 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 <laughs> well, the, the Cleveland Browns got beat 28 to 3 by the by the Ravens, and the Titans beat the Bengals 27-3. The Titans can't score 27 points in half a season. They scored 27 today against the Bengals to beat. What is wrong with the Bengals? What is wrong? I don't, with I don't know about Cincinnati, but but Deshaun Watson didn't play today, so that was a big, oh. that was huge in that regard. Um, as far as Cincinnati, Cincinnati started out two and zero last year and rebounded and, and went on to win 12 games. For whatever reason, and I don't know if it's the calf issue still with Joe Burrow, but he is not right. You know, and, and and he tells you after every game, he goes, for a guy who did not have a preseason, you know, I'm going through my preseason now and this thing is still bothering him. And I think it's affecting the overall continuity of their offense. Uh, but they better get it, get it together in a hurry. Are they going to be slowly, slowly trailing other teams they're looking up at? You know, we talked about it, you know, 
we talked about it during the game. And it's just one of those situations, you know, in the betting world, this is the worst time to be betting on games. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially when you go through the first four weeks, you know, hopefully, you know, we get to some kind of continuity and we start seeing teams play with some kind of continuity. Right. But right now, there's just so much unpredictability about what's going on. You know, there's a handful of teams. There's maybe four or five teams that you can count on if you're a better from week to week. The rest of them, man, you just – you know, you're you're playing Russian roulette betting on some of these teams from week to week. Rams will be coming in next week off a win. No, they're out there. Oh, they're out, they're out there. Oh, oh it's out, I'm sorry. And it, I can't, it's out there, I can't but they're, they're coming off a win, 29-23. Yeah. It's going to be like That's, an Eagles home game, though, right? Yeah, yeah really. Yeah. really? Yeah. It I mean, won't be like an Eagles I, home game. It I, always I, is in L.A. I, I can't <laughs> wait to see this Rams team because it could be the debut of Cooper Cup. He's been dealing with that yeah. hamstring, which has some nerve issues, so that might be his coming out game. But I got two names for you on the on that Rams team, you can use in the next Scrabble match. This this Paku Nakoa and Tutu Adwell. This kid had another big day. Nine catches, 163 yards. Wow. Rookie. He has been a talk, one of the talks of the league through the first four weeks. You know, like who is he? Where did he come from? But yet he is tearing up defenses across the league. Can you imagine if the Eagles secondary played like they did this week, next week? If Cooper Cup is coming out and this kid Paku Paku continues to do what he's doing. We're gonna be sitting here talking about another defensive letdown again next week. Well, I'm I'm looking at you know the stats from that game, and Matthew Stafford threw the ball 40 times today, and they still managed to you know Win run, run run the yeah. ball you know 36 times for 100 you know and what 160 something yards. Yes. Um, so I think the big thing is you know we talk about it all the time, but there are some things that a defense must do mm-hmm. in order to be successful. You're on the road. They better go in there, and they better get the run game under control. And believe it or not, I want Matthew Stafford to throw the ball 40-plus times. Then they're playing to the strength of our defense. But if the Rams can run the ball with any kind of consistency, this Kyron Williams kid that's from um, that's from Notre Dame today had 25 carries for 103 yards and two rushing touchdowns. They better put their big, pad, their big boy pads on because the Rams are going to try to run the ball. They are definitely going to try to run the ball. Right. If they can get any kind of running game going, it's going to be a long, another long day for the Philadelphia Eagles defense. Yeah. The Steelers fans amongst us, by the way, yeah, in the Philadelphia area, uh, my sympathies go out to oh. because oh. your team is garbage. Oh, <laughs> they lost thirty to six today. The, the Texans. Congrats, D'Amico Ryan, my boy, D'Amico Ryan's. Congrats. <laughs> Unpredictable this year. Congrats. The NFL. I'll Come tell on, you that. Right, miss, you didn't have to go there. <laughs> I mean, that's awful. They won two in a row. I want to go back to the Rams game real quick, too. Seth, you touched on the running game. The Eagles need to get their running game going. We saw DeAndre Swift two weeks ago. This week, it was too much Kenny Gainwell, and I get it that Swift isn't the most durable running back, but I do not want to see Kenny Gainwell one more time on a fourth down <laughs> wow. where they have to get off the field. I don't wow. want to see it. He played well last year. He is not running back number one. That is DeAndre Swift's game. This offensive line, I think, is made for the running back runs of DeAndre Swift. Kenny Gainwell not my favorite. I know Eagles love him, but you got to go to what works, and it hasn't been Gainwell, and it wasn't in week one. Either. Kayla will be hearing from Kenny Gainwell later tonight. <laughs> I'm going to call Howie him an agent and be like, you got yep. to stop that. We will have all the reports on that. Kayla In my opinion, Kayla is more or less, you know, the commitment to be able to run the ball. So the Eagles ran the ball today 27 times. Um, Jalen Hurts ran the ball nine times. In the first half, they only had nine runs for 27 yards. Okay, so that told me that they weren't really committed to running the football. DeAndre Swift only had four ca- 14 carries, and believe it or not, you don't like 
Kenneth Gainwell, and I said the same thing. Where's DeAndre Swift, and why is he not in the football game? He only had four carries. Only four carries for 14 yards. So my, my thing is more or less, I want to see the Eagles get to a point where they stay committed to running the football mm -hmm. so much more than who it is that runs it. You know, I, I need to see DeAndre Swift get about 20 carries, and I need to see some of, some of um, Jalen Hurts' carries go down and some of those carries go to Kenneth Gainwell because they're going to limit the amount of touches. They're afraid that they're going to get him hurt. And right. If they get him hurt, then you'll be even more angry because then they're going to have to play Kenneth Gainwell even that much more. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, it's time to check out of here. Well, this was fun on the deck here of the USS New Jersey with the Pond La Hockey Eagles postgame show. I'm Mike Missanelli, M4, Derek Gunn, Seth Joyner, and Kayla Santiago, and Mark Farzetta. We wish everybody a great rest of the Sunday, the rest of the Four. weekend, whatever you're doing. And oh. we'll catch you back at Ocean Casino next week right here for the Pond La Hockey Eagles postgame show. Good night, everybody. Go for the polls and the pools. Go for the ooze and the ahs. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. The greatest fans on earth. It's a bold statement, but would you expect anything less from Philadelphia? 58 years of heartache creates a toughness, a grit, a resolve not found in most. Sure, our prayers were answered, but now that we've had a taste, we're looking for more. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. My name is uh, Fran Salerno, and I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. bubbles and the bubbly go for the story and the stories go for the win go to ocean casino resort book your trip at theoceanac.com the greatest fans on earth it's a bold statement but would you expect anything less from philadelphia 
58 years of heartache creates a toughness, a grit, a resolve not found in most. Sure, our prayers were answered, but now that we've had a taste, we're looking for more. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. My name is uh, Fran Salerno. I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.